happier place to be. I won't cry miracle. Maple syrup is the best. It's so yeah. good. Just be present with me and love me. I won't cry wow. 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 But why, why can't I see a picture of the coastline? from 50,000 years ago. Why can't I see that the Mediterranean was a lake? Why can't I see the Caribbean was a lake? And that this giant city off of Cuba was above water. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Jared Murphy a little bit later about the possibility that the aliens are really us. Uh, which probably makes sense. Makes a bit of sense. Um, yeah, fun chat. Good chat. Kind of goes deeper than that. Well, it's kind of the gist of it. Yep. In a bunch of different angles. So it doesn't really go deeper than that. It just expands on that depth, I would argue. Sure. Then we got Graham the Alien Dunlop. How's it going? Okay. How you doing? Oh, not too bad. Good. It's our alien app. We had some people Yay. asking last week for the alien app again. I still don't think it's the alien. It's the non-alien app. but you know, The anti-alien yeah, app? The anti-alien app. Probably as close as we're going to get for the next couple of weeks. So I'll have to enjoy it. Yep. I mean, just because he that theory doesn't think they're aliens, does that make it a non-alien app? No, not at all. It's just, it's just he really puts a lot of stuff in perspective that uh, we had way higher technology than we realized back then. You know, we're plating, plating material with metals way back then. Back in the 60s? Like thousands of years ago. Oh. Yeah. Oh, right, because it was the time travelers, wasn't it? Was it time travelers? No. No, it's just... Uh, oh, no, it's a breakaway. What? It was like a breakaway, wasn't it? What was? Uh, no. The UFOs now. Oh, well, we weren't talking about contemporary UFOs. We talk about like the Michael Cremo stuff, the out of you know out of place it. artifacts, and the sunken city in Cuba, the the water, you know, the water. Mm. Uh, I'd like to look into that sunken city in Cuba. We should have someone on about that because I didn't even know about that sunken city until yeah. this episode. Yeah, I was actually thinking we should have Cremo on again too. You know, he was our fifth guest. I can't believe that. I cannot <laughs> believe that. It's been like, but that's what we thought about that work way six back. Six and then. a half years. It's since nice to hear on. people talking about that after six and a half years after. Like Cremo's still one of those researchers that people reference for that kind of, you know, forbidden archaeology. I see. I remember that was like one of the first YouTube videos I found. This old YouTube video, and it was from like the '90s already, so it was like shitty quality. It was like someone videotaping their their Discovery Channel show from like back in the early 90s when the shit was still like okay to play on the mainstream, which I guess it is when you look at like the History Channel and H2 have almost been completely co-opted by by crazy shows. Yeah, he was talking about engineered soil too, global, like engineered so soil around the globe. Which makes you know? sense with the, uh, like when Paul Stamets talks about all the crazy mitochondria and stuff like that and how this like, 
the Pacific Northwest and some of the, and the Amazon have these just amazing fucking growing things. Yeah. And the, and the Smithsonian, you know, basically hiding all the records like quoting, you know, that, Hey, we're, uh, we're in charge of all this. Don't, don't worry. Look away. Don't look over here. Yeah. Look over here. Yeah. Crazy. Our history. I mean, that's one of the topics that seems to be pervasive in these podcasts is what was our history like, you know, when I read these old esoteric books that describe the mythologies and the commonalities between them all, it really does seem like history is way different. Yeah, the history's uh, the I don't know. The, then it just gets into the whether or not it's by design. Yeah, whether or not they're doing it on purpose or whether or not they're not. Yeah, and sometimes it seems like they're doing it on purpose. Yeah, when you hear Smithsonian quotes like that, it seems like they're doing it on purpose. But I don't think that's everybody. I think it's just part of the you know history goes to the the winners. You know. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be a war. It could just be the winning scientist in an argument. And now all that other guy's work goes yeah. in the trash because yeah. this is the yeah. new model. Yeah. Fucking models. Yeah. It's always models. Yeah. Including reality based on models. Anyway, it was a good chat with Jared. It was kind of that uh, all-encompassing sort of a good one. One for the books. Yeah, he's a good speaker. Yeah, he did a good Great job. book. You read the whole book? Yep. Listened or read? Listened. Listened to the PDF. Ooh, is this coming out in audiobook? Did he say he was working yeah, on this one as an audiobook? Yeah. yeah. We couldn't yeah. get that no, one for I know, you. I know. Uh, we tried. We tried. So what do you got? Well, I got a, we, an email from Australia. Australia email? From Ali Oop in the chats. Oh, she mentioned she was going to send in an email. Yeah. Okay, what and, do we got? And I got a uh, project operation. Ugh. Is it? Did you research this one? Yeah, it's ready to go. Okay. I got the choice for you. Okay, good. Yeah. Because the last one you just kind of canceled like halfway through. What? Okay, I'm going to play the jingle. And now another edition of Grime American Goodies by the people. By the people. <laughs> it's kind of a synchro. Synchro? Oh. Yeah, kind of. I could have played a synchro jingle. Now it's too late. Hi, Graham. Several weeks ago, I was listening to an interview on YouTube that was talking about connecting to our spiritual guides. The lady on the video said we need to ask our guides for specific signs to let us know they are with us. For example, feathers, a special song, butterflies, pennies, etc. As she was saying these examples, I wondered, what should I ask my guides, specifically my dad, to show me? I didn't want to ask to be something, to show something that I usually see. She suggested pennies, last on the list of her examples. As soon as she said that, I chuckled to myself and thought, okay, Dad, show me a penny. To explain, I'm American, but I moved to Australia about 11 years ago. I do have some pennies, but they're tucked away in a drawer. So I knew that asking to see a penny would be a long shot, but I figured that would be an obvious sign if it did happen. For the last two years, every morning I write down my dreams it's very rare for me to be anyone other than myself in my dreams. It's probably only happened a handful of times in my whole life. And when it has happened, I've been an unknown person. But the night after I listened to this interview, I dreamt that was my daughter. The dream was fairly lengthy. I, my daughter, was hanging out at my, her friend's house for quite a while. 
but then it felt like there was a blister in my mouth. So I found a mirror to see what it was. When I looked in the mirror, I saw my daughter. I took care of the blister, and the dream soon ended. It didn't occur to me until I was writing down my dreams the next morning that my dad had managed to show me his sign. My daughter's name is Penny. Ah, a nice little twist. <laughs> awesome, eh? That's from Allie. Thanks, Allie. I wonder if her daughter has a uh, tooth thing or a something. Blister. A yeah, blister. Yeah, that would be interesting. Oh, imagine that. Allie was writing down her dreams with a friend of hers. They both do it, and then they would compare notes. I wonder how that's going, because they were finding some interesting examples. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm still in the don't remember dreams camp. Oh, God, so. I had a dream last night. It was pretty weird. It was Adam. Adam, friend of the show, was showing me around Loyal? my old place and explaining why I wasn't going to get my full damage deposit back. Adam and this Loyal? guy And this guy from the feds showed up at the door when I was meeting there meeting my landlords. He was like, he was a fed guy, but I was like, he seemed nice and super polite. I was just going to be, I was just, I wasn't nervous or, you know, nothing. I was just like, Hey, how you doing? You know, sitting down and going through the dream. And I, as soon as I was to sit down to, to, cause I was wondering like, what, what's this guy want from me? You know, is he going to try and get information out of me to lessen a crime? Like I thought maybe it was going to be like, Asking me to rat, to rat on stuff like it, but it had nothing. I don't think it had anything to do with the, the old, oh. my old place or anything like that. And as soon as I sat down to talk, this guy woke up. Ah, so you ah, don't God, know. I was trying to get back into it. They were going to try and recruit you for the citizen Gestapo. Yeah. I was thinking about your DM, DMT experience the other day. You were? That's weird. Cause you, cause <laughs> you had that, that word come to you. Oh, yes. I still don't remember and, where. And I've been reading this old esoteric book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, and, and they talk about the word. Do they say what the word is? Yeah, they do, actually. What was it? Reason. Hmm. Not ringing a bell? No, definitely wasn't reason. <laughs> <laughs> How far into that are you now? Uh, like, I don't know, 130 pages or something. I'm still waiting for them to approve the other two. ACX is all backed up. Everything's all backed have you, up. Have, do they know, like, if they admitted that they have it and all that, like, there's, it's going to happen? Like, that hasn't slipped through the cracks or anything like that? No, it still says it's just in review. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think, I don't yeah. think it slipped through the cracks. Okay. No, I don't think so. Is there any way to follow up at all? Or? No, not, not really. really. They don't make it. I mean, yesterday, or Monday will be the 30th day, and they say usually oh within God. 30 business days. Wow, that's brutal. But they don't say anything about how many business days during a global pandemic. It should be quicker if everybody's working from home. You think that's how it works? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Imagine most people's recycling bins are full of empty wine bottles. Yeah. So what else you got? Got the project operation. Ooh. Don't play that whole jingle, though. Just a couple seconds of it. We need a, like a three-second jingle. The jingles are too long. Uh... I disagree. You just got to fade them into or? the background. Well, the last time you had it blaring in my head when I was trying to read it, so it was a little well, distracting. Well, it kind of blares for you. That's because you were at home instead of in studio yeah. where the faders don't work. Yeah, I know, still. So you I'm come still. to the studio. Come to the studio. This is all. I don't know what else to say. That's the wrong jingle. <laughs> <laughs> In the studio. Oh, oh, God. God. See, it's just blaring. Blaring in my 
head. It's like an MK Ultra experiment or something. Oh my god. Okay, stop it. That's good. That's Maybe good. That's Felix's good. MK Ultra. That's good. Oh my god. It's just the only thing I like. I like the siren at the end. That's about it. But otherwise, it's just too much. Can you shut it off? I can't read with it on. What do you? I got two to choose from. Two? One's kind of scary. And the other one's kind of fun, but it could be scary as well. And one of them is Operation Big Itch. And one is Operation Ranch Hand. Big Itch. All right. Big Itch? Big Itch. Like Itchy? Big Itch. Oh, boy. Operation Big Itch was a U.S. entomological warfare field test using uninfected fleas to determine their coverage and survivability as a vector for biological agents. Ooh. The tests were conducted at Dugway Proving Grounds in 1954. 54. Yeah. The tests were designed to determine coverage patterns and survivability of a tropical rat flea for use in biological warfare as a disease vector. The fleas used in these trials were not infected, sure, by any biological agent. The fleas were loaded into two types of munitions and dropped from the air, the E-14 bomb and the E-23 bomb, which could be clustered into the E-86 cluster bomb and the E-77 bomb, respectively. When so the wait, cluster it's a bug bomb? Yeah, it's a bug bomb. Does it actually explode? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that wait kill till, the bugs? Till. That's the, why they're doing this. That's why pro, Big Itch is happening, because they want to see if they can drop the bugs and they go swarm everywhere and, and bite people with diseases. Instead of getting killed in the explosion. Yeah. I don't see how they survive the explosion. Well, they, well, some of them get loose and attack the pilots. But how do they survive the explosion? <laughs> then, they do, then they do survive. <laughs> When the cluster bombs reached 2,000 feet or 1,000, the bomblets would drop via parachute, disseminating their vector. The E-14 was designed to hold 100,000 fleas, and the E-23 was designed to hold 200,000 fleas. But the E-23 failed in over half of the preliminary big itch tests. E-23s malfunctioned during testings, and the fleas were released into the aircraft, where they bit the pilot, bombardier, and, the, and an observer. As a result, the remaining big, big itch tests were conducted using only the smaller capacity E-14. Okay, so the E-23 with 200,000 was too much, and I guess Killed it them? failed. Killed them? Killed the bugs? Well, I don't know. They, I mean, they've made, they, they couldn't even contain them, it sounds like. They bit the pilot and the observer and the bombardier. Jeez. Imagine in a plane, fucking, fucking bugs fleas, flying around everywhere. Fucking fleas Fighting everywhere. You. So anyways, they continued with the smaller capacity E-14. Oh, my God. Guinea pigs were used as test subjects and placed around a 660-yard circular grid. Big itch proved successful. Now, now this is from Wikipedia, so take it from a grain of salt. <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's kind of official, but it's also probably, leave, it's probably been cleansed. Cleanse. So the test showed that not only could the fleas survive. Did they, wait, did they try this with ticks? Uh, no, it's fleas. Hmm. I don't know what the difference between fleas and ticks are. Well, we have this weird Lyme disease thing. That oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
So the test showed not only could the fleas survive the drop from an airplane, but they also soon attached themselves to hosts. The weapon proved to cover a battalion-sized target area and disrupt operations up to one day. The one-day limit was due to the activity of the fleas. The airdrop fleas were only active for about 24 hours. Before they died? Yeah, because fleas died. I mean, fleas died. Is that how long fleas... So that's why they went to ticks. When did the ticks become a problem? When does Lyme disease start? Hey Siri, when did Lyme disease start? Okay, I found this on the web for when did Lyme disease start. 1960s. Lyme disease was only recognized in the United States in the 1960s. This was 54, so. Wow. I think Lyme disease is one of those things that you get in trouble for saying might be. Really? Government made. I think so. Uh, It's definitely one of those things I noticed. It seemed like there was a weird army of people looking to argue about me about Lyme disease when I made some posts about it. Wow. Kind of like vaccine Yeah, 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 definitely. Wow, okay, here. So you, United States Biological Weapons Programs. Oh, this is kind of very fitting. Weaponized agents, anthrax, botulism, brucellus, brucellosis, Q fever, enterotoxin, type B, rice blast, tularemia, or tularemia, V and wheat stem rust. Those are some of the weaponized agents they've been testing. And then they've got what a bunch stem of rust? Wheat stem rust. Is that like wheat? I don't, I don't know. I don't junior. Know <laughs> so they've got. Uh, oh my god! So they've got the researched agents: AHF, BHF, bird flu, chick V, dengue fever, EEE, glanders, hantavirus, Lassa fever, melodosis. Newcastle disease, plague, potato blight, cytososis, ricin, RFV, RVF, sorry. What's RVF? Rinderpest, smallpox, typhus, wee, and yellow fever. Oof. So here's, I gotta, I gotta, okay. I gotta, I gotta, this is like, I've been keeping a list of these operations and projects, and then sometimes you get into this. So there's, listen to all these operations and testings. Operation Sea Spray, Big Buzz. Dark Winter, Dew, which we've talked some of these, Dropkick, LAC, we've talked about a lot of these, Large Area Coverage, Magic Sword, Mayday, Polka Dot, White Coat, and Project 112. Ooh, what's Project 112? I don't know, but I'm going to add all these to my list, especially under the biological weapons project. category. It's kind of like fitting for the COVID problem right we now. We should get you a mask. They try and biologically take you out. Wow, there's a lot of lot of facilities. Do you want to hear the facilities? Sure. U.S. Army Biological Warfare Labs, Building 101, Building 257, Building 470, Desert, Deserat Test Center, Dugway Proving Ground, Fort Detrick, Fort Douglas, Fort Terry, Granite Peak Installation, Horn Island Testing Station, 1 million liter test center, Pine Bluff Arsenal, Plum Island. Animal Disease Center, and Vigo Ordnance Plant. Poof, creepy. Vigo Ordnance Plant? Yeah. Gee. Creepy, creepy, creepy. That is a lot. Anyways, yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. That was a good one. Oh, I I think you'll be pleased to know. I'm not going to make you do the quote just yet. Did we ever find the book yet? I haven't looked for the book yet. No, I haven't found the book. I think it's just out You got a quote this time? I do not, but I have booked Charlie Murphy again for the 22nd. Oh, right on. That'll be great. 
I'm just uh, once I'll play this jingle. Why don't you um, go take a quick peek for the book? Where the hell is the fucking jingle I'm looking for? I'm just looking for the the uh, this one. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grind America newsletter. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Oh, we'll go to the phone line first. We got a text from 519. That's going to be Southern Ontario. Ah, prison inmates released. Hey, boys, this is what's happening in Ontario. I know it's been happening in the States the last couple weeks. We have to stay in under house arrest light, but we let our violent criminals out. Also, you know they won't be rounding them up too quickly after this. Anxiety triggered even more. Much love. Stay safe. From Anonymous. ATB Financial, you have been pre-approved for a credit, credit limit increase. I don't have, we don't have anything in ATB Financial, so that must be a scam. And then I think we read the Kenny stuff. Kenny. Kenny, I do have a voicemail, though. Oh, really? Okay. Looks like it's from Los Angeles. Let's see what we got. That's one, one. Name First unheard message. Hi, Karen. This is uh, John Ashima. I'm a publicist, actually Canadian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> never mind. I was <laughs> <laughs> a publicist, so I'll call her back. <laughs> well, maybe she was leaving a, a, you know, a legit voicemail for the show. You think so? Well, you should probably just pre. I should that. probably pre-check it. Okay, I, I found don't like Charlie's. To, wait, 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 wait. We're in the middle of the social oh, media. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez. Ah, because I wanted to go to the Facebook page because uh, we did have a pretty interesting chat from... Del Bigtree? Uh, no, I wasn't going to go with that. I mean, we had uh, Lee, who runs the Facebook page for us. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Lee in the UK had a post, and it got a ton of comments, so I wanted to pull it up. Hashtag and it was, UK posse. have your views changed on this pandemic? pandemic since it first arose are you a believer now are you starting to question the that's narrative? a great question talk to us that's a great question so we'll go through the comments from paul i'm amazed how well the social engineering has apparently worked there are millions <laughs> of people asking for martial law out there turning their neighbors in for walking in a park pandemic or not we may have already lost sherry sad how fast people believe when there is fear uh, Ian, Paul, it depends if we let them drive us off a cliff or not. Melissa, I've been watching this develop and see how e easy it has been to shut down the entire world with a supposed pandemic that is killing less than 1%. WTF is this world coming to you? I am more and more pissed by the day. How can so many people not see through this bull? From Stephanie, I think it was a man-made virus. There are multiple agendas, and the fear, panic, and control of the public is just mere practice to what's to come. And somebody needs to take out Bill Gates for the greater good. Well, I don't know. About that. 
From oh, and don't I, advocate violence. Don't advocate against, violence or, or doxing or anything like no. that. I don't think we don't we don't want to we don't want to uh, stoop to their level. From Anne, I tend to think that the disease is real, but what we are hearing is a very specific version of the story that is designed to maximize panic. Exactly. I think that there are a lot of people working to improve things and a lot of people who are misinformed and making bad decisions based on inaccurate information. Yep, well said. Ruth, it took me about three days when I allowed my fear survival brain to calm down and think about what I know from almost a lifetime of truth-seeking. Truth-seeking, there's definitely an agenda and not just on one particular thing. Kathy... Lots of predictive programming for disasters and pandemics. It's been simmering on the back burner for decades. Finance and politics. It's all about the money. Can you read the beginning of the one before that again? It took me about three days when I allowed the fear survival to kick in. From Phil, I started out cynical, then ran the whole gauntlet of feeling and emotions over the last three or so weeks and have now circled back to being oh, fuck off. It's a flu. That's my maybe that's a exact, man-made flu, but a flu nonetheless. That's exactly where I'm at. I started out cynical and I and now I'm back to exactly where I was after going through a spectrum of things. From Jonathan, there is no narrative. Pandemics happen frequently. The kick in the balls is that our society believes it will never happen here. Technically, a pandemic is a global thing, so the first one in a long time. Maybe you meant Earth. Maybe. Phil, I have to say the general public reaction is far more terrorizing than any illness could be. Report your neighbors and hand in your rights. From Seth, I thought it was and was going to be blown over from the beginning. Never let a good crisis go to waste. From Melanie, I have never believed it is as serious as they are saying, especially now that Bill Gates is really pushing the ID 2020. Sally, I'm amused how quickly people have turned on each other. Whilst others support, it's like the Nazis are back. This is not an exaggeration. Michelle, same here in Australia. Community members turning on each other and dobbling them into our, outing them on local Facebook pages. The paranoia is real. Amy, I am so pissed. I know people can get sick and they can die, but come on. Nancy, question the narrative from the start, even more so now. All fear-based. Jennifer, been questioning the narrative since the beginning, still questioning it. Richard, <laughs> it's real. It's man-made with an agenda attached, which makes it a false flag. Jody, yep, went from conspiracy to believer, now back to conspiracy. <laughs> Judy, by day two, I was thinking that it sounded hokey. Dina Spear, virus follows protesting that the government, CDC, big pharmaceutical companies, toxic vaccines, and mandatory vaccine bills across the states. How convenient to have a virus with such a catastrophic illness sweep across much of the world. Fear, death, shutdowns, taking away people's ability to use critical thinking by instilling fear, fake news, false data, death statistics. Watch mandatory vaccines for this virus and all vaccines will be demanded and made law because the corrupt need to save us. There is so much more to this virus than most know or want to know. That is my opinion. From Lena, question everything from the start. Now I'm convinced it's a huge sham. If there is a virus, we can definitely survive it. And if any of us don't make it to the other side, we shouldn't have given up our freedoms for it. I'm not ready to enslave the human race so I can live a few more years. Mary Beth, no, shit like this just solidifies my initial feelings about it. Here's a state government signing into law fines for, our social, for, for not social distancing, and they're all crammed in the picture. Real or hoax, government is completely inept either way. 
From Danny, at first when coronavirus broke out and started spreading, I was like, okay, we're going to have to be careful for a while here until this thing blows over. Two or three days later, when it started to get more intense and the lockdown was talked about here in the UK, I was concerned and starting to research what's going on. I now have a long list that I'm constantly adding to of credible, accomplished people who are telling us that this does not add up and here's why. I am very disappointed, although not at all surprised by the general population and how many have simply been bamboozled, tricked, or hypnotized by the mass media into believing their whole narrative and are now living in absolute fear and reporting people who choose not to do the same. It's absolute insanity to me. It's the normals among us who have fallen for the charade once again, whilst those of us with open minds, free will, backbone, courage, intuition, curiosity, and a general healthy distrust of authority have a more accurate perception of what's happening. Only you can't really talk about it because the people think you're a lunatic. This is why I'm compiling a list of fact-based evidence from credible people that detail the reality of this situation. Wow. I want to be able to present a large document with everything required to cut the lags off the mainstream narrative, or at least the, plant a whole lot of seeds in the minds of people who believe it all. Wow. Who's that? Uh, that was Danny. Can Danny... Thanks Come everyone. on and share it that. It really or? is encouraging to see that there are many of us who are not falling for this. I've just seen a screenshot from Bill Gates' Instagram, and there are many people voicing their opinions, basically telling Bill he can go fuck himself. It's <laughs> excellent reading. <laughs> and that's it. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for participating in that. Thank you, Lee. I had a great question. My sentiments were, I mean, honestly, the exact, almost exact same as a lot of those, you know, cycling back. Cycling, cycling, cycling. All right, you got a quote for I us? I do. I got a quote. This is this is a crazy one. Okay, I'm like, going to try to read it fast. I'm going to try to read it fast. Why Why would you do that? You, you're not even because really good at reading them slow. I'd hate to see you stumble. I'll stumble, but okay. I'll just get back up and hey, why join do we the fall race. So we can get back up again. Yeah. It's not about stumbling. It's about getting back up. <clears throat> it's the profound quote of the See if you can guess this, Darren. Okay. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Paul Everybody's Harvey. out of work or scared of losing their job. <laughs> the dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do. And there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat when we sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everybody everywhere going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we are living in is getting smaller. And all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I don't want to say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I want you to go out and protest. No, I don't want you to go out and protest. I don't want you to riot. I don't want you to write your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. 
I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it, my life has value. So I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go out to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Isn't that Paul Harvey? No. Who is it? You got, oh my God, I think we've been, I'm getting deja vu. Hmm. Major deja vu. You thinking this guy was Paul Harvey before. Who is it then? Howard Beale, Network, 1976. Huh. Did he steal it from Paul Harvey? (laughs) 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 Or maybe maybe Paul Harvey. Who's Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey was like 50s, 60s. He was that old radio guy. He used to fucking freak out about this stuff all the time. Oh, maybe it was. He used to be talk about how if I was a devil, I'd do this and this. But how fucking crazy is that? It sounds like I feel like what's going on, on right Harvey. now. Anyway, we do got to get out of here because we got a show coming with the wonderful Bruce Fenton right away. It's 2020, not 1976. That was like th- 20, 20. That was 50, almost 50 years ago. 45 years ago. 40, 44, 44, 46, 44, 44. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the in- intro. We're going to have a fantastic here with Jared right away. If you guys want us to keep being able to have these out there conversations, these out there intros, talking about whatever we want. Not following the narrative, not giving a fuck. Grammarica.ca slash support. We do that because you guys support us independently. So we have nobody can tell us we can't talk about whatever the fuck we want. If you're getting some value from the show, I believe this is number 413, something like that. The thousand hours of content out there, all free. We're giving away the black budget for free right now as well. America.ca slash support. If you can't afford to support, shoot us an email. We'll give you the link. If you can't afford to support, there has never been a more important time to support the show than right now. Support is down due to the effects of the pandemic on employment around the world. And we could use a few to pick up that slack if you're still working. And, uh, yeah, it just helps a ton. And we're going to keep coming out with the extra content to keep you guys entertained while you're stuck at home. We love you. Join the chats. Grimerica.ca slash chats. Get the fuck off of Facebook. Get the fuck out of Twitter. It's full of toxic fucking bullshit. None of that shit in the chats. It's just a lovely place. Everybody's mostly friendly most of the time. And if not, they're at least respectful. Most of the time. Most of the time. Grimerica.ca slash chats. America.ca slash support a bunch of other stuff in the show notes we'd like you to do most of all we'd like to enjoy this chat Jared Murphy So tonight we've got Jared Murphy with us. 
He's a researcher, and he's been researching like the origins of man, ancient history, that kind of thing. And his book that is fantastic just came out not too long ago. It's called "It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us: Discovering Our Lost History." Uh, thanks. Uh, brought to us by Paranoia Press, Olav, friend of the show. So uh, thanks for joining us, Jared. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, how's it going? Really good. Excellent. We were just having a good laugh about your experience at Contact. I mean, I do want to hear more about that. Contact oh, in the desert. I mean, we yeah, can... yeah. I I vol- I actually volunteered last year and uh, put Al- Alex Hoffman of Hoffman Optics. We put through uh, uh, a few hundred people to look at uh, the night vision goggles that Alex produces for Camp Pendleton, and so these are military grade ninety thousand lum glasses and uh, goggles. And you're you know you're laying back and you're looking in the night sky, and people were screaming and pointing stuff out and. You know, when you're helping everyone look, you know, you're not seeing what they're seeing. So it wasn't until the last night that uh, uh, Alex said, hey, would you like to take a look? So we sat there with the owner and uh, the volunteers and we looked up and you see satellites, you see birds, you know, you, you distinguish the layers of things. SpaceX, to give you a time frame, had just launched those 60 satellites. Oh, that's what we, we had that. We saw that last Right after that launch is when we had sightings, uh, UFO sightings at this at this co- conference that we were at. Oh wow! Where yeah, were at? we were at our own in Colorado. There, it's contacted the cabin, and we had Randall Carlson doing some uh, yeah. tours with three groups of people during that. And yeah. two guys saw this this amazing snake like UFO type thing. And they were freaking out about it. And one of them didn't wake me up in the middle of the night for some reason. But then we were researching it the next day. And that night, there was the launch of those 60 satellites or whatever. Yeah. And uh, But it didn't seem like the same thing. And the timing was off. So we were like, how strange is that that this, this type of thing would happen on the same night as Musk's launch? And then the next night, four guys saw the same thing. So it was yeah, it, two nights. It was really interesting. Yeah, it is. The... I had no idea that, okay, fine, you know, people are going to sit back with the goggles and you're going to maybe see something. Yeah, yeah. And then what it turns out to be what is essentially a freeway up there, there is a lot of odd thing, things that are satellite sized that are shifting directions, yep. 90 degree turns and uh, moving kilometers. And it's not one or two items. You don't have to wait long to look at the sky and see it. And I saw it myself and I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. Was that well, after you'd written the book? It's not aliens. Worse, it's us. <laughs> well, I spent three. I spent three and a half years, and I, I was waiting to find a publisher. I well, I was looking, oh, okay, yeah, and yeah. so now I'm done. And so here you are, looking up, going, okay, some of this is military. Yep, yep. But very smart, very credible people have been seeing aliens for years, and and that therein lies part of the book: is it aliens or is it a lost ancient high technology? group of humans that have been living alongside us just like we leave 150 tribes alone around the planet yeah i mean they're they're living in the woods uh if everything went to hell right now we would pretty much be really uh, you know we would have a hard time in america without whole foods in the grocery store and there are people that are living in the jungles with medicinal uh medicine plant knowledge that we do not have any possession of without the internet yep but yeah i wonder what they do for toilet paper down there we should get a fucking laser printer and start printing stuff out. <laughs> we should get some more of those boxes you have, and we should start printing out some of the stuff on the internet because we're not going to know how to do what those people do. Well, that was one of Graham Hancock's old things when he was talking about how 
there's a few of the, the low technology, you know, the uh, Aboriginal societies right now will be the ones to survive a Carrington event. You know, we would just go into chaos. Yeah, I was, um, I was speaking with a friend from Zimbabwe and he, there's a tribe near where he lives that they speak of, they understand cell phones, they understand all of it, but they've been living in the same valley for about, to the best they know, of at least two or 3,000 years. And when they speak about cell phones and, and iPads and the computer, what, what we're using for technology, they say it's a wrong invention. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's not that it's good, it's not that it's bad, it's a wrong invention. It steers humanity away from connecting back to the earth in, a, in an actual tangible way. Like right now, if we don't print it out or save, I mean, hey, kudos to the hoarder that keeps every copy of Good Housekeeping. I guess, you know, we'll have all the recipes still. <laughs> yeah. We got a pretty good book collection. At least we'll be entertained. Yeah, in the well, next we few s- weeks when, you know, when there's no toilet paper and we're, too- and we're stuck inside and we're not allowed to go out, I should bring some books home tonight from here just in case. Don't wipe your ass with books. You wipe your ass with your socks and then you wash them. <laughs> Oh, that sounds good. How long has he been doing this? Well, not till we ran it. He's, I think he's a few, bunch, there's some under the sink. Pizza yeah, I, know, home. I, I noticed okay. I bought lots for here, so there's extra toilet yeah. paper in the suit. We can sell them for five bucks a roll now or something. I'll trade them for ammo. 22 shells. Yeah. Box of 22 shells, I'll give you a whole container of toilet paper. I might come take it back with my ammo in a couple of months, but we'll see. <laughs> well, I live about 20 minutes away from Federal Cartridge. There, That's a Minnesota company, so... We, uh, you know, we have, we, we have the manufacturer up the road. (laughs) Nice. You know what I always love about Minnesota is they serve fucking pickerel everywhere. And in Canada, in Canada, then you're not allowed to commercially produce, uh, those freshwater fish. So I can't get my walleye anywhere unless I go home and fucking catch it myself. But when I go visit Minnesota, every restaurant has walleye. I love it. Oh, yeah. Is it the same as pickerel? Walleye? walleye and pickerel, same thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they, the, the license plate says it's land of 10,000 lakes. The reality is by hectare, we have 19,000 lakes. Wow. And then, of course, and then that doesn't count ponds, streams. The Mississippi starts here. You have uh, Mille Lacs Lake. You want walleye. Um, Mille Lacs Lake is 60 miles in diameter. It would cover the Twin City 7th County metro area. Uh, it's not very deep. It's 60 feet, but yeah, if we could go on about the fishing program all day long. There is so many, so many, so many places to go. So if you want to stay in Minnesota for fishing, I mean, the boundary waters, I mean, we share that with you guys. Totally. That's, that's such a great place. Duluth. Lake of the woods. Yeah. Is that right below like Lake of the the woods connects, connects Minnesota and and Kenora. Yeah. That's that's unreal fishing. yeah. Yeah. So, you could literally go now. meet in the middle of it. They'd probably shoot you right after you did, or they'd come and search you or something. Uh, lake Reed is huge. Um, there's a number of lakes up there that actually half of it's Canadian, half of it's American, and everyone on the lake knows everybody. Um, of course, maybe that's not like a disclosure we're supposed to make, but it's <laughs> yeah. a pretty friendly border. Yeah. Yeah. All your buddies yeah. in Reed Lake yeah. in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the no, next nobody... time I come out there, you'll have to take me fishing. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So what was your gut feeling when you're looking up at the sky, going back to that contact at the, at the desert? I did that at the UFO Congress in, 19, in uh, 2013 with the night vision goggles there. And uh, we, we saw a couple little things, not really, not really a lot. But, I mean, 
What, what's your gut feeling like t- human tech? I guess you can't yeah. really tell, but I guess like what you're saying, you can't really tell if it's a, an alien from another civilization compared to our ancient advanced past. We all grew up with the idea that, okay, it's a saucer. It's, it's gotta be alien, yeah. but how many, how many shows, how many experts, Graham Hancock, you know, like you just mentioned, how many people do we got to go? It's like, oh, look, uh, Saqqara, there's uh, 40,000 faces that are so thin. They always point out, oh, these look machine. They look engineered. But they're so thin, some of them are made out of uh, crystal that you can see through. And some of them are stones, the hardest stones on Earth. And then we find the polygonal construction. We can go down all the tech list, but then you have works like Michael Cremo with Forbidden Archaeology, and you have... Uh, 15 million year old examples, 5 million year old examples of human uh, anatomically correct humans. So when we don't even, can't, we can't even table what's the human timeline. And we have footprints that even the Rockefeller Foundation looked at, you know, from Utah, from, you know, boot prints in the ground that are maybe, maybe 260 million years old. So we have to table how, how long have anatomically correct humans been here? All of our post flood mythologies are stories. And then you have what is the more better likelihood that you look at the technology, you look at Brian Forrester finding the Paracas DNA and the spinal columns go in the center of the skull uh, for humans. But for Paracas, they go in the back for the single suture line on the head. You have six genetic markers that are not known to humans. So you have genetic evidence like the Paracas. You have this technology. And the first jump we make is that it's aliens, that we couldn't achieve. Yeah, if you saw a cell phone in dynastic Egypt, you're like, well, somebody dropped that off. But there's an assumption that the dynastic Egyptians did not inherit the, the land, that it wasn't abandoned, that it wasn't destroyed, that a prior technology and society. And, and in my findings, you know, there's that city off the coast of Cuba that could not have been above ground except 50,000 years ago. So yeah. what's the world map looking like? Yeah. It's. We're, 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 we're talking about more likely an ancient human race that maybe they didn't, maybe they weren't fully, it's like a cruise ship that crashes and the, the guy who bartends makes it, but the guy who makes the um, actual gin, he dies. The guy that uh, can program a cell phone, but not a laptop, he makes it. The machinist makes it, but he, he doesn't know how to make a foundry. So how long would it take a disastered, ancient high-tech society to get back on their feet and would there be that many left and maybe that explains why dynastic egypt became dynastic egypt and the mayans (laughs) became the mayans but you have giant megalithic polygonal constructions mixed in with mud brick and you have keystone cuts david childress loves to talk about you know the keystone cuts and you go to egypt and you'll see buildings where uh, the mechanics of those keystone cuts where the metal should be poured are no longer horizontal they're they're vertical and they're in different rows. And so the jump is, well, aliens came here and helped us because, you know, they just couldn't get over in between hunting and fishing and looking for walleye. It's like, boy, those buggers are trying to stack a 33,000 ton stone. Let's help them out. Or was it part of a larger structure where after thousands of years, uh, the, the original materials, the surface materials were repurposed. You have, Uh, no eyes on original construction. But it's one thing to look at the constructions. It's another thing to go all over the earth and find engineered soil like Terra Preta and Chernozems that are in Europe. And you have mainstream scientists identifying 
4,000, 8,000, you know, multi-thousand year old uh, soils that are, it's not a matter of like dead dinosaur, a little bit of compounds, and then you have an engineered soil. We're talking uh, soil that can filter carbon dioxide, heavy metals, fertilizers, and it's the richest growing soil on earth. And it's, it's, it's in Canada. It's down through uh, South America. It's in Oh, hey, they found it in Australia. They found it. It's all over Europe and Siberia. It's in places that were supposed to be nomadic. So you have a highly engineered soil. We have Paracas DNA and engineered. Uh, how do you get a chicken before an egg? Seriously. I mean, how if our ancestors are, if there's a segment of the human population that's highly advanced, it would not either be hard for them to hide from us or to be identified as alien. Because if you're in a tripped out multi-dimensional traveling machine maybe it helps to be a smaller shorter human to have eyes that see infrared or on panel display instead of going in you said there's no limits instead of going in for a boob job you go in and you decide well hey i'm going to this i'm taking this one million mile space trip i need to be white translucent and short because i hate the g-force at six foot but it's but the jump is we've been living in this romantic world of well it's aliens yeah because it sounds cool it also makes sense when you look at the technology it's who else could have done it it's less i think it's less difficult for us to accept if it's if it's aliens it's well you know what that's you know it's like well there's a lot of high-tech stuff and uh well it, there's a lot of out of place out of time artifacts and and well isn't that something but yeah. it's never a full uh the idea that we were advanced and fell that we are the remnants is way harder to accept. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that about your book is well, a few things. I, I mean, I have to say so many things right now, but, but the one oh, thing yeah, is it hear. gave me, it gave me a unique perspective of, uh, of, of it gave me a vision of the past that I've never really been able to put together before or never had this coherent vision of like what maybe the past could be. So the way you described all the different, ancient mysteries across the globe and maybe you know when you when you like sort of speculated on hey it could have been like this or it could have been like that but but yeah. more tangibly more tangibly how our science is going like literally going looking in the wrong places and they're not focusing on the right things and then i appreciate yeah. how you spent time on the we talk about this here all the time darren knows i love the part about the underwater like the last you know three or four hundred uh, feet of sea level rise yeah. like what is underneath that like what happened where yeah. that's the key to where, what, what, what civilization was like before the ice age or during the ice age and that, and then the structured water part as well. I really appreciated, appreciated that and pulling it all together. I mean, the plating, I mean, we can get into all that, but, but I don't know if you have the Smithsonian uh, quote off the top of your head, but I mean, that's a great way to start it off too. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one from Marcel from the Tikal university about the, uh, are, are you referring to the one for about the engineered soil? No, the or, Smithsonian. Uh, no, about the Guatemala. No, the, the Smithsonian quote about uh, ignore all the all the evidence that uh, goes oh, against yeah. Columbus arriving arriving to North America. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that and was, it kind of gives you like a part. broad a broad scope of like this is sort of evidence of of a cover up, of course. Oh, it's it's literally in the open. It's yeah. It's the director of the Smithsonian, in the eighteen hundreds, saying we will not accept anything that does not show the Native American as a savage, and any 
evidences found that contradict what we want to find will be ignored. In a nutshell, that's the paraphrase yeah. of it. Yeah. But it's an open conspiracy to say, look, this is the history we're going to tell. And then you have, I think Michael Cremo says it really well. It's it's knowledge filtration by standard academia to say, well, if if you know you find what you're looking for, and you and and that's a problem even with alternative researchers that are doing incredible work. But like Gobekli Tepe, it's a perfect example. Everyone's been. I mean, Klaus Schmidt looked at it until he passed away for over 40 years. They've only dug up five percent. 5% of the site, and yet they're making these massive speculations and plugging it into uh, the standard, uh, well, these must all align to stars. Well, if you're not using satellites, well, I bet you're just looking at the sky. We look at the sky, but what's beyond that? An advanced ancient technology society is not aligning things to worship on altars. They're not, they're not altars. It's like going to Chernobyl. My best example is this. In a thousand years, you guys want to come do yoga at the Chernobyl site and you feel the fuzzies. I mean, it, it's Chernobyl. It was a nuclear reactor. It's You can do all the summer solstice dances you want at Stonehenge. You might be standing at the foundational blocks of what was once a superstructure that all the wood, all the metal, all the plastic, it's all gone. And mind you, Stonehenge, without getting into it, is a good example of a site that was rebuilt in modern times. There is geosonic, there are surveys just like at Gobekli Tepe and everywhere else that there are large, massive megalithic blocks that they just thought didn't fit their idea of how it should have been rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, so now you have a society that, like you said, they're open conspiracy that, hey, uh, well, the Smithsonian was sponsored and built uh, you know, as a donation from the British. And then again, you have the British Museum doing what they want. And you have the Smithsonian deciding this is history. And you saw that picture of that Cuban city that's 50, that's 2,300 feet deep off the coast of Cuba. It could not have been above land less than 50,000 years ago. And it's not like they built it and said, okay, we're ready for a flood. And then the Native American, or the, the Native uh, in that area, the Caribbean and the Mediterranean, both were more lake-like. Um, you have hundreds and thousands of miles. Like you were talking uh, the other day on your podcast about uh, Doggerland. Yeah. Uh, that There's a perfect example. I mean, and that's accepted even 8,000 years ago, the map of the world in that area. I mean, you had mountains and streams and rivers. Who lived there? How many people lived there? That, that's hundreds of square miles of land that's gone. And imagine if uh, the story of America was from Nevada to Ohio and all of the eastern seaboard was gone and all of L.A. I mean, Nevada was beachfront property. Yeah. Vegas was a beach. Yeah. What, what would you what would you say about the history of humankind? And so you go a couple hundred feet off and you're in if you're in Egypt, you're at you're at the sunken city, like the sunken treasures of Alexandria. It's pretty obvious it's Egyptian. But to your point. When you get further out, when you get to whole pyramid cities that are off the coast of Cuba that no one's looking at, open conspiracy, National Geographic bought the rights to do that uh, special after they found it, and what has been done in 14 years. Yeah. Anything? But yeah, I don't know if uh, when we're looking at the evidences physical to otherwise, you're not piecing it all together everyone like antikythera device the 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 quotes on that well we would have never conceived the actual evidence on it they said 
we would have never conceived possible this device had we not found it in that time frame. Yeah. Well, who yeah. says it's anything special? Is it just the device that was on the way from ancient FedEx over to UPS to get transferred for someone's Christmas gift from ancient Apple? Like you said, it could have I, been one of many on that ship. Yeah. And who knows? It, they make it sound like it was a, a one-off type thing, right? Yeah. It's always, if we find something that's always, again, it's bad, it's bad, bad, bad work. It's, it's the, it's the first of its kind. Yeah, uh, it's the original. It's the only one. It's the oldest. It's a um, yeah, it's a it's a one off. It's a fluke. It's yeah, yeah. Which keeps us in a paradigm of constantly having the conversation. Well, you know, it's uh, it's 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 alien. It's it's an out of place, out of time artifact. Well, no. Uh, if we keep finding from the time paleoanthropology started and archaeology, you have people finding things like in the like Michael Cramo reopens like the red craig finds the finds in europe the finds in france the finds in tabletop mountain oh the canadian i know graham hancock rehits uh in his latest book i haven't I, and i'm not quoting from him it's just the knowledge i mean there have been some great canadian researchers that found uh ancient campsites that looked like uh pre-neolithic human campfires that would have only been there way before a land bridge way before anything known to human history in the normal flow of things like Waylaco, Mexico, you know, you have 275,000 to 500,000 year old campsites that were well proven by Virginia steam McIntyre in the sixties and seventies. And she was burned at the stake for it. And so if they don't fit, if it doesn't fit the museum history of the, uh, of the world. So we have this like open the eyes to all the examples. Everyone's talking about, examples of oh this is neat this is interesting but to your point how do we pull it all together what does it really look like it looks like an ancient high-tech society spanned the globe had full comprehension and abilities with the human brain i, I mean if, if evolution the theory was correct then if we don't get anything except by forced adaptation why is it that we walk around with 10 or 14 percent of our brain they always say we have 10 or 14 percent and then you have these anomalies of people doing amazing things or uh, synesthesia, these different abilities that we well, go, even oh, like the Wim Hof stuff you're talking about in your book too. Like, yeah. I liked how you, you got into the sort of the supernatural stuff too, showing that these people are getting back to their ancient, their just ancient technology, breathing and different techniques yeah. that you can basically, you can yeah, anybody yeah, can do I it. Met, yeah. I met Wim Hof the first time he came to America. I had a friend with a spinal issue. Uh, he had a, he has a degenerative spinal disease and he goes, have you ever heard of this guy, Wim Hof? And I'm like, no idea. And then I end up at San Francisco and here I am with him learning how to do it and reconnecting. A lot of people experience different things uh, when they do the breathing technique. In 15 minutes, you can be doing something where you're not sitting like in a yoga class going, watching your problems float away on a, on a cloud. That's not what you're going to experience. In 15 minutes doing this, you are connecting in a way you're like, I don't know what's happening, but I know it's real and I am connecting either with the planet, the earth, myself, I don't know what's going on, but you got to try it. If you haven't, Yeah, you can learn it really fast. Yeah. So then but, get back, go back to the, how it was all connected or could have been connected. I mean, Oh like yeah. You're missing the big picture on a, on a global connection of, of some kind of technology linking everything. Yeah. So there was some science and this ties into vibrational and frequency yeah, and energy, yeah. actual energy machines. You know, we're getting really close to being able to nail down the pyramid as a energy device. Yeah. And, and, and that is not just one. And, and the best part I point out in my book is that it's, it's eight sided. It's not a four sided structure and, and how it ties together 
the idea of energy and frequency and vibration and the human race and an advanced ancient society I, to tie it in for you is that I think abilities like what Wim Hof, who will tell you in person, demystify. Yeah. Actually, he specifically says fucking, fucking demystify. demystify. He says it all the time. He goes, I can do this. You can do this. Everyone can do this, but we forgot. And in, in re-remembering that we can do this, it's not an ability to just control inflammatory response and your uh, immune system and uh, calming and relaxing. The people report, like I've seen, um, it's like a jump start. Like uh, there, there are other researchers doing not just it's the cold, our adaptation to control our environmental temperatures, to be able to just walk with impunity out in 20 below and be fine, be able to regulate and burn fat and not just as a parlor trick, but what is the consciousness level of a society that's structuring water for not just uh, the beauty of it, but the sound, the frequencies, your brain entrainment. Are you able at 100% consciousness to not need a cell phone, to be able to uh, synesthesia, which I bring up in the book, it's uh, considered that at least 20% of the population has the ability to uh, hear a sound and maybe see a color or to see a color, but to have a sound. It's where all of your senses where you could imagine walking into a Greco-Roman amphitheater, sit down for a play where you can taste, smell, and feel everything going on on stage. And that combined with some of the research that just came out right before I published, I'm wrapping up my edits, and I see, because I was theorizing, as you're pointing out, a society that's connected mentally, physically, and they're able to, um, like, as a, you know, the construction methods, what if it was more sound-based, not just in cutting, but what if they could see what they're cutting? The line wasn't drawn by a pencil or a, a chalk line, that it was actually through music, that they could see a geometric shape. That's chromosesia. That's a thing. And if you could be in a society, 100% consciousness, including these abilities to uh, communicate through that pineal gland, being able to see, hear, feel, and touch, not just each other, but the work that's in front of you and structured water as far as uh, healing properties. But what if you were on the planet and we're traveling through the universe, we're experiencing different frequencies and vibrations. You have giant energy machines like the pyramids. And I guess I'm describing that overall society you were reading about, which is every, every pyramid or energy structure that was on the planet is connected and to a point, we can tune in or tune out energy transfers from each other to machines. But we're traveling through the universe. And what if you and I both walk into a Greco-Roman theater, uh, well, older, and what if we're both sick? What if you're just slightly irritated? And what if I have cancer? But we're going to get together as a group. We're going to sit down in this theater and we're going to experience vibrational and frequency energy that actually heals us because we're traveling through a part of the universe and the friction and the vibrations of what we're traveling through, a space storm, you name it. And we're in a society that is fully connected down to their engineered soil. They are able to connect the wave frequency energy of earthquakes and cancel them out, which I talk about in the book, to being able to realign and tune your mind and your body with your cellular, like, you know, Anthony Holland destroying cancer cells, MRSA cells, leukemia, you, you, you name it, 50 bacteria and bugs and that's on ted talk you can watch that but this society 
appears to have been fully connected to each other and across the planet. We have pyramids, we have polygonal construction, we have keystone the, cuts. The cymatic base construction too, right? Yeah, that's, and yeah, the, this study comes out and these guys literally quote in the role of nanophonics and the idea of uh, small, large, that they, they said, we cannot help but notice, and this is paraphrasing, but they said, we cannot help but notice the uh, amphitheaters in Rome, in Greece, and their foundational structures absolutely correspond to wave dampening technology, that these things were built to withstand not only earthquakes, but Bologna, Italy. They said the structures of the towers, and we, and they even point out that engineer a combination of engineered soil of giant trees like metasequoia or redwoods, that columns and buildings could be laid out in a way that it, and spheres, specifically the stone spheres found all over the earth, could you be were wave dampening, wave cloaking uh, machines that could dampen not just a single structure but an entire infrastructure. So when you were city planning, we're talking about a society that's terraforming and engineering everything from their uh, you know from farming to metastructures like your whole city. And the spheres that we find in Bosnia, they found, uh, Samiras Monagic found uh, 64 tons. Uh, Costa Rica, you know, they were originally found on banana farms. They were only researched for a short time in the 40s, and they're all over the earth. They're in yeah, China, millions you know. of them all over the world, right? South America yeah. or South Africa. Yep. And so that's part of that technology. So we have the cymatic polygonal construction of the walls. Of they're on the pyramids. They're they're on ancient. Uh, it's not just that it's the walls. We're we're assuming that the walls are walls that they're not foundational walls that they're not part of what was once a larger superstructure that was metal above it. Or wood, if you're or, yeah. if you're working with wood that's sixty four foot diameter or twenty meter diameter trees that are 400 feet tall, how hard would it be for a society that can work with 2,000, 1,000 ton blocks to cut and manage a tree and, you know, build a, build a city out of, you know, you could build townhomes out of single trees. And, and those structures, those polygonal constructions are just foundational. And the structures that are above them are long gone. I mean, how many times do we have to look at an Inca building and we have, you know, Brian Forrester in particular, you know, you got rubble stacked on top of what is essentially a building that is in cover. You know, it's it's okay. You you got really tired. You were building with forty and eighty ton blocks and hundred ton blocks and eight hundred ton blocks, and then you just got tired and went to building with rubble. And and this is uh, considered to be just Incan. And it's not just there. It's Tiwanaku. It's magnetically locking. It's not just polygonal. And that they just fit together with no seams. There's weird magnetic anomalies where they come together. And then you have jo jo Joseph David Ovitz who invented geopolymers, yeah. all of our concretes. So you're finding geopolymer patching. The assumption is, hey, maybe the pyramids were built and the pyramids were built and they must have poured them. And then people from Yale, from Egypt, and uh, Joseph David Ovitz's uh, research institute found geopolymers he wrote a whole book on it on the great pyramid right but the assumption is that well maybe some of the blocks were poured 
And I'm only bringing it up because in the course of, geo, of geopolymers as part of polygonal construction, there's a chance that these geopolymers were just because you have a society that if you're finding cities off of Cuba 50,000 feet deep or 50,000 years old and that they're 2,300 feet deep, then when they were on land and maybe they were cities, if you're building for a society that's lived millions of years, then would they not have had to patch or recover from multiple disasters over hundreds of thousands or millions of years. So when you find geopolymers, they could have been installed uh, as original structures, but they could have also been part of polygonal masonry as a repair, or it could have been from a weaponized attack. I mean, we don't, we automatically think that a higher society went, you know, we're talking about a group of people that may have not, after one final death throw and fall, the survivors from like a cruise ship like disaster, they may not have all gotten along. You know, there may have been, you know, there's that famous plate that was over Nuremberg, that 1516 lithograph of hundreds of people witnessing what appeared to be a battle in the sky amongst what looked like to us now as UFOs. It's, it's been brought up on ancient aliens and a lot of different shows that, you know, and you can Google it pretty fast, this lithographic plate of, uh, this star fight in the sky. And uh, the assumption is that, well, maybe one group of, I, I thought for a long time, maybe one group of aliens made it or our humans made it and they get identified as aliens and that they, that they just continued on. And but then, it, and then it's like, well, why would there have been a battle over Nuremberg in 1516? Why are we finding, you know, aluminum parts that are under mastodons that are, over 30,000, you know, the bones are 30,000 years old. Aluminum was invented 700 years ago. Why are we finding out of place, out of time artifacts that are of such a high significant level of technology, but combined with the cymatic polygonal construction and what we're seeing, you're, you're finding uh, too much evidence that doesn't point to a high-tech human society. The, the, it's just difficult to jump from you know, the idea of a foreign body coming to this planet because we're super interesting. Yeah. The other thing about the blocks that, that I never realized before reading your book was that they're, they're not only, you know, they see those blocks that look like they're, they're seamless, but there's a crack there, but it's not really a crack, but it's just a seam. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But they're all sort of shaped in funny shapes together, but it's not just in the front, right? They're tight all yeah. the way through the whole block. Yeah, and that's why they were. That's why Joseph David Ovitz and other people were like, "Well, maybe they were poured in place yeah. because they're so tight in construction." And all this time, I thought, you know, I've done construction work. I've, I have a background doing historical remodeling, and it's easy for me to look at a structure and go, "Okay, well, this structure is only a hundred years old, but how many times from the time it was built was it handled again? How many times was it re?" Uh, repaired. And when you look at these blocks that are been built and they're, everyone talks about, you can't stick a needle in them. You can't stick a slice of paper. Uh, they're the joinery, you know, 15 corners and every single thing now. And then you go, oh, and they're 60 tons. They're 100 tons. They're 20 tons. They're 800 tons. They're 1,000. And then it finally hits you that you're looking at a block that is perfectly touching on every side, yeah. like some sort of marshmallow has pressed it into place and what kind of technology could melt or agitate stone uh or a a a, 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 a even a pore block. even a pore like even how would you form all that how would you i don't know yeah and then some of them are restacked so what happens is what happens when you have the last just 
12,000 years of pre-antediluvian, you know, post-antediluvian history. What do you do with a society that does come in and they can restack it or ones that were never touched where wind and weather got to them in a way where it's cracked or there was an earthquake and ultimately, again, the weathering of the joints Ultimately, like you said, you'll see spaces, but they're not spaces because they were spaces. They're spaces because what amount of time did it take for that basalt or rose granite or quartzite? What, what did it take for it to get that weathered over how many thousands of years? And how many times was it readapted? Yeah. That, that blurs, the, that blurs our, our, our questions. It's kind of fun because we're in a phase. We're basically in a renaissance, I think. I get to be wrong. You get to, we all get to have a theory because without putting our eyes on it, uh, we all need to look at it. We all need to see this. We all need to scratch our heads a little bit and go, I don't know, this looks familiar. You have people to not to want to bring up past lives, but people will say, you know, either, either somebody was either, I, I always kind of, I have to admit when you say, Hey, I think I was Cleopatra. It's kind of, you know, everybody's always somebody famous. They're never John, the farmer who worked a hundred hours on the farm. Right. But then there's always that one guy that or gal that will remember something about being that farmer. And there is documented cases of people going out to areas where they've never traveled, they've never been, and they find a foundational structure of what turned out to be a farm. Or, and it turned out to be these three buildings exactly where they thought. And that kind of ties in in my book about DNA and memory. You know, in the last 12 years, there were a couple of scientists they've recorded on just a gram of DNA 52,000 word books and and then they moved on and they've basically essentially been able to record using the DNA strands all of human history and knowledge could be recorded in basically a small whale or a couple elephants so by the the idea that are we each other's backups is there a chance that when you have a hunch or an instinct or genetic history we're proving out that memories trauma can be passed from uh, person to person. How does that tie into this past high-tech society? Can we look at these joints? Can we look at this stuff as a citizen scientist and or just someone that has a hunch? And could it actually be tied to a genetic memory, some backup, some storage deep in our psyche? Is it part of a human collective consciousness? And, and, and when we start, when we keep piecing together all the technology with our genetic abilities, like Wim Hof, tying it back to that, are we missing? Is it, is it important that academics look at this and dig up these polygonal blocks like Ollante Tambo? Everybody keeps showing these 150, 300, 400 ton polygonal blocks and they're sitting in the same mud position as they've been for thousands of years. I want to scream and pull out my hair. Get, get, <laughs> why, why, just dig five feet, dig five feet, just yeah. five feet. Give me yeah. a shovel. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, and then why aren't the physicists and the, the other engineers looking at all this stuff instead of just the archeologists and anthropologists? I mean, it, like there's a whole yeah. slew of people that should be looking at the stuff that's, that aren't, that aren't. And, I mean, if you're not, I was, look, I was a kid. I want, I liked, I liked Indiana Jones. Like everybody else. I wanted to dig up mummies. I wanted to find golden monkeys. I wanted to find the obvious ancient lost society. And when I saw stuff like Stonehenge, when I saw polygonal blocks, I'm like, this is boring. This is stupid. I don't, I mean, there's nothing left. It's dust. So 
nano archaeology. I mean, archaeoacoustics are coming. People are starting to understand that sound and frequency and vibration are very much incorporated. But the other way to look at it is imagine being in the front cockpit. People make, humans make traditions over a thousand years. If you had a functional 747, but the only thing you knew for a thousand years was to bang in the cockpit on the, on, and, and, and you know after a thousand years of tradition that you bang on the cockpit a certain way and the certain lights go blinky blinky, and that's what it does. No one's going to argue with you over a thousand years because that's what you do with it. It's a 747. It flies. But if for a thousand years you bang on the blinky blinky counter, it's now the blinky blinky counter. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think that's what's happened with a lot of these massive high-tech sites. I do not, I do not, um, it's, you have to respect any culture or group that has spent hundreds of years or thousands of years uh, living and dying and fighting. Uh, you know, humans have their histories on locations that have been occupied, but we also have to respect the fact that we don't know our, we, can, we have to table that we don't know. And that it's that that nano archaeology that the dust literally may contain, like Terra Preta and Chernozem soils. We have to look at the fact that the Earth was largely terraformed beyond the places we say were occupied in the last twelve thousand years. We have to we have to tie a an open end to archaeologists also though, and give them a break and actually be more impressed with instead of you jamming what you find or only looking for what you want to fit into what is uh, academic hubris over and over. We have to give archaeologists the ability to go to a site for a year maybe and not find anything instead of spending 30 years patting themselves on the back for re-putting together a pot that may have been the pot at what is essentially the entrance to Disney World and they still haven't opened up Disney World yeah. because they spent 30 years putting a pot back together, hence the LIDAR finds in Guatemala. And uh, I thought you were referring earlier to Marcel's quote, uh, that archaeologist uh, out of Tikal saying, we have grossly underestimated the populations. We could safely assume that South America, they were referring to just the area of the LIDAR finds that were found in Guatemala. They were saying that you could safely estimate 15 to 20 million people. And that's a guy willing to go on record and say from 800 square miles of LIDAR scans and 40, you know, over 40,000 structures and hundreds of pyramids. Hey, we don't have a full picture yet. It, it, it's, a, it's a perfect example of one more time where archaeologists, you know, they put together the pot because the pot's valuable. It represents a, a history. It represents us. It represents somebody a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago that had a really maybe interesting life and we want to know about it. But it doesn't explain the pot and the jar in Saqqara that is machined three millimeters thin and, and it's translucent. And it's, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the that's the excitement. And I think that archaeologists need that backup. They need they need the support. They need money and they need the support of the general public to be able to like, hey, what'd you find? Did you find a bunch of orangutan bones and you want to say it's another part of our ancient history? Or do you want to like get the DNA testing done and find out it's an orangutan and it's not actually a Neanderthal? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that Guatemala you know, thing was only was that over land only? Like that's not even including underwater, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't. It, yeah. It's just they're doing a five thousand square mile uh, blip, which the blip they've done is eight hundred square miles, and that was they're doing three years of research. And uh, in fact, I, I I have some connections down there. I'm hoping to get 
a lot of those details and be able to share them with you uh, fairly soon in the future. Uh, and to be able to look at, you know, National Geographic obviously put out that report. You can see the super highways, the roads. Uh, you guys talked about it in that podcast the other day with Justin, I believe. Yeah, I think there yeah. was, yeah, you're talking about those initial uh, conquistador reports of these roads rival Rome. But those are just roads they were maintaining. Yeah. But, you know, how old are the blocks? What, what is the foundational structure? What is the actual soil footings for these structures? So if they engineer the earth, like if, we, if we're talking about a high-tech society that possibly had engineered soil that controlled earthquakes and vibrational control, that nanoarchaeology will be viewable. You've got to dig under these polygonal constructions and not go, yep, it looks like there's sand and it looks like they layered. And they, it's, it's even simple things like how pre-compacted is the soil. You know, when we build a house and you guys got basements, right? Most homes in Canada have basements, yep. right? Yeah. Yes. So you build a foundation and a lot of, as a, as a former uh, co contractor, the reality is that most, uh, the foundational walls are supposed to be pre, you're supposed to pre-compact the soil to 90% before you build your foundational wall. But how often can you guys go into a home that was built 20, 30 years ago and you go into a home that was built 100 years ago, and that 100-year-old home is in better shape still than the newer home, or it's sinking. Even the 100-year-old home has the warped floor. You're talking about these polygonal walls and these structures in Egypt and all over the world that not only haven't sunken, but it never occurs to anyone that the amount of information within the engineered soil, it's not just about it being good growing soil. It's about why is it so level? Why is it that the Great Pyramid, I love when Graham Hancock likes to point out that, uh, you know, the Great Pyramid is 1 60th of a second off of perfect north by north by south by south. We currently say that the Great Pyramid is a half inch off level, but are we really measuring it well enough to even know that it's a half inch off level? And why are we not looking down at the foundational, the, the, the actual platform that everything's sitting on? And we go, yeah, these look like really big, like Baalbek, Lebanon. They look like they're 3,000 tons. They look like they're 1,000 tons. And then from a top-down view, you were saying about the paper-thin little point where polygonal construction goes in. When you look at some of these foundational megalithic uh, stone blocks on the Great Pyramid structure, uh, the foundation, just what you're walking on, just the, just the, the platform, you can see little tiny uh, curves, like the blocks curve around each other. But they go down. Some estimates are uh, 12 feet by 44 feet by 16 feet. Some of the blocks, um, some are even larger. And then again, what about the pre-compaction? It's not about it just being tight and level for the structure to not traditionally change height. What about the soil as you're going to the structure? How much have the, yes, the sand has blown all over Egypt. How many times has it been? cycled over on itself so i think nanoarchaeology and looking at soil and looking at the engineering looking at you know unfortunately submicron level uh boring non-mummy finding tutankhamen finding curse loving archaeology <laughs> are we going to put ourselves to sleep with going i found a micron that should have been in australia but it's in to call you know that's our future i think so the last 10, 20 years, we've been pushing back this history, our history now to like, especially with guys like Graham Hancock and all to maybe before the ice age, but you're really talking about even 
further than that, right? Like your sense is after yeah. doing all this research that it could be, who knows, hundreds of thousands or millions of years with all the, if you take all the ooh parts and all the, the fact that all these megalith things, we don't know how long they go back. Like maybe they go back even farther. Maybe it's like you said, right. it's been the rise and fall with that same megalithic structure uh, being modified somewhat or oh, many, many times over. Yeah, well, and, and originally I was going to start a book about fiction. And what got me down this road to begin with was, besides loving the topic, was the Paracas people. The, they're the most, well, they found, now here we are, we found more mummies that are even older. But the Paracas in Peru, uh, some of those mummies are known to be 9,000 years old. So if you have elongated skulled humans, that this is a hot, this is a hot button. Yeah. If you genetically have information, if you genetically have a human being with six genetic markers that we don't understand, and there, and he's continuing testing, but you have a skull. I showed it to a couple surgical nurses. I've shown it to doctors. Uh, you know, should the spinal column enter the head here? Should the should where your arteries go into your you know into your brain into your skull? the form magnum, they're, they're entirely different locations than in, the, in an average human. If you have an existing human race and many, many thousands of bones, which is, again, it's the exception to be a fossil. It's the exception to be preserved. The, the, the truth is, I'm sure you and I can both head out into town somewhere and find the rusting you know, 1970s vehicle half fallen apart, let alone a Model T that's turning to dust in a thousand years, you're going to have one Antikythera device at the bottom of a cold pond in the Mediterranean. <laughs> Meanwhile, how do you not look at an entire megalithic city off the coast of Cuba and go, well, that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Well, okay, but it's not the only city. And you have Doggerland, right? You, you, you have a whole continent dropping off of Indonesia that was connecting Australia, New Zealandia. That's a pretty big place. And we don't look at any of it, <laughs> but we constantly force our paradigm into the land. We know and the land we see, and that's just not what's there every mm -hmm. time. It's something more complex, but we don't get excited about it. It, it doesn't help. I understand that uh, colleges need to sell degrees, but it would be a better degree in what we don't know. Yeah, It'd be better to come to that table and then to keep trying to say, well, you know, 50,000 years ago, we were, we were uh, just wanderers. There's always been tribes. We're sitting here with all this tech and equipment right now, yet we can go hit a tribe in a loincloth within 15 hours plane travel. Yeah. You can be somewhere where this technology is either rejected or not accepted. And they're doing just fine. And they've been doing fine for thousands of years. Simultaneously, we have iPhones and Androids. And again, Michael Cramo's work. You know, you got, you got, these are 700 examples of all things that are out of place, out of time. And, and they well exceed these histories. Yeah. But it's, it's fun to put together what happened 12,600 years ago. Yes. Do we have the younger Dryas? Did it really happen? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's enough science behind it. So then we get fixated on one point and we don't piece together a global picture. It's like time out, Dodger land, Dodger. You know, if you're looking at that land, well, then what do you know how hard it is? I, it took me hundreds of hours with a, a cartographer, uh, a map maker, uh, an illustrator to create a world map that those world maps in my books. It took hundreds of hours to find 
you can find pieces, but you go try to find a map of the world. It's very strangely missing, like those Smithsonian reports. Why is it that I can't see a map of the world 50,000 years ago and the coastlines? Why is it that I can go to Florida and get a tour of you know, Coral Castle and they can tell me that we're on 4,400 feet of coral, that all of Florida is just a giant coral reef that's over 4,000 feet deep. But why, why can't I see a picture of the coastline from 50,000 years ago? Why can't I see that the Mediterranean was a lake? Why can't I see the Caribbean was a lake? And that this giant city off of Cuba was above water. And then what other cities corresponded to it? So are we looking at Guatemala? Are we looking at Egypt? Are we looking at really the inner, um, you know, are we really looking at like the inner, inner, inner cities? Are we looking at Ohio? Are we really looking at uh, middle of Canada? I mean, are we really, are we looking at Letter Kenny or are we? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> How dare you? Is I that love Le- Letter Kenny. I'm, everyone's always talking about Letter Kenny. I'm going to have to check it out. So, if I'm following along correctly, then it would be the aliens would be the people that left Earth like 50,000 years ago with our tech off exploring the universe. And now they're coming back and they're like, what the fuck did you guys do? Not necessarily. They could be coming out of the inner Earth. I mean, they might be here all along in our woods and our, under our oceans. So we're still too savage yeah. for them to interact with. They're just like, nope. <laughs> That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly, I have a chapter about that. Uh, are the, I actually I actually make a point to say, are they assholes? <laughs> I mean, it's like, there's a point where you look at a group of people, let's just say that the survivors were not one coherent group. They had to go find an iPhone. They had to go find a, a, a laptop. They had to go grab every piece of technology they could find, every book that nobody were they in was there a was there a combination of war or disaster and did in a hundred years did they did they hide for a hundred years did they hide for 50 days did they hide for 40 days and 40 nights or was it forty thousand years and when they come out here's the dynastic egyptians that have taken all their keystone polygonal constructions and turned them up sideways and put lanterns on their heads and become a society so it was there just a few thousand or fifty thousand and as they redeveloped did they just go look um we can't have these people wandering all over the planet. So why is there a story about Veracocha? Why is there a story of a red-haired, red-bearded dude teaching a bunch of people how to farm? Because quite frankly, if there's only 50,000 highly advanced humans and you guys live alone and you got 40 million natives just killing everything they can hit over the head, we got to settle these people down. And what if some of those people were even people like the Paracas? What if those were part of that highly advanced society? And they were like, peace out, we're done. We, um, between the last disaster and between the last time we all fought, we are going to go live on the beach. We're going to fish. We're going to be the first Quakers and Mennonites. So screw you guys. We're going to the beach. And they lived out their life because they rejected their technology. And you're talking about simultaneously, maybe a million years ago, a half a million years ago, you're talking about a highly advanced society that may have sent out satellites, may have had orbiting satellites may have sent out research vessels. So on one hand, you could have a divergence of either a society where they come back and go, what the hell did you do with the planet while we were gone? But more likely, there is a group of people that have always been here that recovered from some disaster. Why? Because the Mayans, the Incans, the societies we don't know, the Olmecs, 
the Egyptians, the dynastic peoples, the Jakardan pyramid people that nobody likes to talk about. You have a pyramid 23,000 years old. But these people, are, are they came out of the jungles and the woods, and they survived a disaster. Some of them could have been those ancient high-tech people, but they survived the disasters. They repopulate the planet. Meanwhile, you have a smaller, factional, highly advanced group that looks at us, and to your point, they look at us and they go, they can't even figure out how you get a chicken before an egg. It's real simple, jackasses. You have to make a chicken and you program it to lay eggs. <laughs> That's the only way you get an egg and a chicken to work. And they still don't get that. And they're killing each other over post-antediluvian religions. They're killing each other. I mean, it's like, how far can we help these people before they have a meltdown at 10 to 14% consciousness? Do you do they contribute? Do they not contribute? I I'm I've spent a lot of time thinking about are they benevolent are they uncaring do they well they could what, be the reptilians it? maybe well and, and and here's exactly this point if you're a highly advanced human that can change your dna any way you want maybe if you've been underground a really long time it's just easier to be a reptilian <laughs> maybe it's just easier you have to think about customizing your genes uh, the fact that we have geneticists that go Hey, you know, we got, uh, we got 5,000 junk genes. Seriously. We have five, you, you, you guys, the best neurosurgeons in the world. I, I sadly, I have friends that have had, um, uh, they have family members that had terrible neurological damage from accidents. The best neurosurgeons, some of the best are at the Mayo clinics and the best neurosurgeons have stood in front of my friends and have held up their pinky. And they said, this is what we know of the human brain. And, and yet we're making these conclusions that, uh, you know, you see, if you're an advanced human race, why do you need to tell us that you're from here? How pissed off would we be? But if you show up because you can see infrared straight through your skin and you're, you got big eyes because your tech display is easier, tripping out you is just as easy as going to get a nose job. So the, the first premise, yeah, the first premise is the reptilian is not from here. That the Lumerian, that the, uh, you pick the grays, you pick all the latest hot terms and you go, okay, so we're the hottest planet in the entire universe because we eat crap and die. Or perhaps there's a bunch of factional humans that have been highly advanced for a long time and they don't get along and they don't play nice with each other. And they have no interest in telling us. We could go call a Cthulhu on this. The gods <laughs> just don't care about the food that they created that happened to end up with some human species. And here we have... We are the remnants of it. That's the that's the one of the possibilities. I mean, we could go down a lot of rabbit holes. Yeah, but it's seeming a lot more and more towards that. Like it, five years ago, I, I wouldn't have really pictured that or even entertained it. Really, it was more about the UFOs and the aliens. Right now, totally. Now it just it makes sort of more sense in a way. I mean, so there's all just, the USOs. There's so all those the are just Antarctica. Like, I mean, what about throw Antarctica? So into what the are the sea city I mean, people doing to you? That then they're just like they're just fucking with you. They're just like, oh, no, 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 no. They're, they're, they're so they'd obviously pick summoning... you up because they're superhumans. What do you mean the C-SETI guys? Like well, the, 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 the people you're C-SETI in. You're C-E-5 in. You're seeing E-5. While you see E-5. Okay. They're just from, who knows? C5. Maybe they're from the ground. I can't from... use C-E-5 as a verb? Uh, sure. All right. So you're C-E-5 in. And they can tell <clears> because they're super... Sensitive, uh, like they, they're picking up. They're picking up on us doing that. They're coming and then from they're just the inner earth. And you guys just to fuck with you. Yeah, they're just huh. like we're making contact. We're making contact with. Maybe there's aliens too. I mean, there's probably all we, of the above. But 
Well, you know, that that news story that came out, the big deal that we hit, a, that there's a ping coming to the earth. That's a consistent frequency, right. right? Yeah. Why isn't that the first or second or third Voyager from a generation of people 60,000 years ago yeah. or 100,000 years ago? Why, why is the first assumption? It, it, you have to ignore everything we're finding to jump to. It's not that there's not aliens. It's not that there couldn't be other people's. But you have to literally jump over the fact, oh, we found an ancient iPad. Oh, we found an ancient energy machine. Yeah. Oh, we found genetics information that shows that this people had, these people, whoever they were, had full control over our genetic abilities. And it appears that trees and soil and polygonal construction, highly engineered down to nanoparticles, these people are engineering. And so the idea that again, that a segment of the human race, like Antarctica, why do we have a P. Reese Reese map? Why do we have a map of Antarctica with no ice on it? It's, oh, it's a one-off. Or Eric Von Danigan in one of his recent books pointing out, uh, you know, the Greek Air Force couldn't figure out why all of this golden ratio that all these sacred holy sites kept showing up in the same sequences in the same um, golden ratios, the golden, the, this, this golden math. And, and again, the first thing we do to mystify it is to say it's sacred. And then once it's sacred, it's easy to not say that you found something that's high tech that was already here. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to give it, give it to an alien, an alien did it. Or that we assume that if we were highly advanced, that we would help us. Why right now? Here's the same question. Why right now have we not gone? to the tribes that are genitally mutilating humans in, in, in different tribes, you know, in Africa, it's been a sore spot for me, but we don't say, Hey, look, you guys time out. You're done. You don't get to be a sacred, holy, you know, uh, we, we don't respect your traditions because you're mutilating young people. And we are now going to give you a Jeep Cherokee and free internet. And you got to live in this house over here. Why haven't we done that? You know, it's like, well, because they cut our genitals off when we try. Right. And, or the Sengalis, you know, it's like, uh, you know, yeah, they don't want anyone on the Island. And even Marco Polo said, you know, that poor missionary that what was he thinking going to an Island where they don't want us there in Sengal off of India that happened. What last summer, no, two summers ago, Yeah, he got speared to death, but he was bringing this. He wanted to, he wanted to be one more missionary to bring smallpox to the last tribe that hadn't gotten it. <laughs> Now we can skip to Corona. Corona. They were they were plating back then too. Like you, you like that was a fascinating part in your book. Plating yeah. metals. Like uh, ancient yeah. yeah, like with oh. the with the Baghdad battery you figure or something. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is people talk about the Baghdad battery and they don't realize that they found over they found five. And they didn't and they didn't just and, and the question then is okay, well they just found f- these batteries. Uh, if you have a technology to plate metal and yeah, some of the stuff that's been found is they've plated metal thinner than what we need for nano coating for our phones and for our devices, for our flash drives. We're not seeing flash drives anymore. We're not seeing, you know, and again, some of that material may have just dusted or turned to dust, but you're looking at uh, uh, something like the Baghdad battery, which that culture that was running those plating techniques, could they have been uh, prior technology that just, again, like the Antikythera device, is it is it technology that continues to digress, continues to become, oh, that was the first one. You, you just w- pick a quote, people. First, you say it's, uh, we never would in our wildest dreams would have thought that they came up with it. 
And here we find one. So your very next words out of your mouth is, well, it's the first device. Yeah. Uh, Go Black Tapia is the first site. Yeah. Well, you know that that's not true because there's a city off of Cuba. There's the Bimini Road. There's the stuff that has been dived off of uh, Japan. Japan and, yeah. yeah, and then you got these spheres. I mean, we got too many coincidences. You have hollow cast spheres in New Zealand to Costa Rica, to Russia, to Bulgaria, and you have scientific papers coming out by scientists that are just current. They're just concerned with metamaterials in use for infrastructure in wave cloak dampening for for uh, basically uh, they just care about earthquake technology, and they're saying, hey, you know, we experimented with one by one meter spheres, and we found that placed directly under an infrastructure, you could create. Uh, wave dampening, cloaking technology with these spheres. Okay, well, what do you do with the spheres that they found that are hand size? And what do you do with the ones that are found at 64 tons? So what are they cloaking? What are they using them as communication devices? So the technology that's sitting there off the coast of New Zealand, was it the coast of New Zealand? Not according to the map of New Zealandia. That was Middle Earth. That was the middle of the, the, middle of the continent. And now you have just a little bacon strip of New Zealand and we're not dredging. We're not using any. The day we can have drones where we can just dive it ourselves is coming. It's going to be us looking. I mean, you know, it's not a conspiracy to look at Google Maps of the Earth and have detailed portions of it change. They edit it, you know. And I'm all for governments keeping whatever they need to do secret. But it's not a hidden conspiracy to know that the maps that are available to us constantly change on Google Earth, that things get muted, things get uh, taken away. But if we had underwater drones, we would be in a whole new era of research. But we're not there yet yeah. because we can't. And, and and so back to the plating quickly. So there was evidence, there is evidence of of plating on, on objects oh, that go yeah, way back. And, and, yeah, and down to like, and and they've been they've shown up on a couple altars thou, and churches, a couple thousand uh, an inch thick, I think. Yeah, we're talking so thin that the the technology required to communicate or use to connect our flash drive technology to our our hard, uh, you know, our non moving. Where we are with quantum computing, we're talking plating that's thinner. First off, what's funny about the plating is that. They're plating to what looks like a sacred or holy thing, right? So you're talking, you're looking at plating and technology that goes back to the Sumerians, and and we're assuming the Sumerians are really old. But technology, why would you plate something so thin that we can't duplicate the process because you really like shiny objects? You could have dipped it in a bowl of, you know, they could have done it like Easter egg style, but instead they're plating with. <laughs> electricity and they're plating down to a nano thinness that that would be really appropriate if you were a super high tech society and you had that ability as it is forgotten why wouldn't you still be able to do it and so it's like well we can still plate to the level of technology required beyond a laptop but they're doing it for a shiny cross right it's 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 incredible and 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 we can sherlock holmes all the pieces of the technology Combine it with all the sites, then combine it with what do our shorelines look like, and then mix it with uh, engineered soil. Nobody's excited about going and, like, you go look for Bigfoot, 
you are not doing a 30 or 40 meter deep core sample to pull up and go, hey, look, the soil at this 20 meter depth is engineered. Nobody is looking for that. That's not exciting. Hairy people are exciting. You know, that's <laughs> not as exciting as you think. Um, they're good for a couple the, nights. You have a question from the chats or no, I'm thinking about the dirt thing. I mean, I would think that'd be exciting. I wonder how you could even tell. So they test, um, there's a bunch of different radioscopy. There's a whole bunch of different fields, uh, right down to just simple radiocarbon dating, but they actually can look at it and it's biochar. So some of it is as simple as they've taken a plant and they've, okay, this is not, uh, wild grass and there was a fire once upon a time and you can tell oh well you know they're finding that well yeah jared there was a fire there's always been forest fires this is not what we're saying biochar engineered biochar is specifically getting together and burning uh an organic matter including a particular kind of tree uh, whichever it is you need it, because not all, all biochars are created equal. So the idea is whatever you're going to engineer that particular swatch of land for, you're mixing uh, materials to burn into, like creating charcoal. You're creating uh, an engineered soil to grow or be used for a specific purpose. So the electron, the, the microscopes, and everything is in play. They've been studying Terra Preta for over 100 years. When I found it in Brazil, it was <coughs> an archaeologist pointing it out for a Discovery Channel uh, show that they were only there to look at the lost city of Z and Colonel Percy Fawcett, that movie that Brad Pitt did, you know, the one where Colonel Percy goes out and he's never found again. And they did a whole movie, The Lost City of Z. And during this documentary, they have this archaeologist going with one of the Discovery Channel guys, and they're in front of a hill that's four meters tall, and they're like, oh, this is Terra Preta. It's engineered soil. Scientists have been looking at it for 100 years, and we still don't know how to make it. Oh, that's interesting. And they go, let's go look for Colonel Percy. And I'm like, wait, hold on, back up. You guys just found engineered soil? You don't know how to make it? You've been looking at it, soil scientists. I've been, I've, I, I've met with and asked a soil scientist about a lot of this, and you're telling me you don't know how to make it. It's all over the Amazon to your best of your ability. Just in this area, they're saying there's an area the size of Spain, double the size of Spain, or twice the area of Great Britain, and they know for sure they found it in. It's in Canada. It's in the United States. It's in Australia. It's in Africa. And that's like not accounting the deserts. You can't go look at a current desert and say, hey, in this 50 feet of sand, well, you know, there's nothing here. Well, if 90% of Egypt is buried and there's all these architectural finds of massive structures and buildings and superhighways in just Guatemala, maybe that, that sexy soil science is the new frontier. Because you're talking about there, if you're finding engineered soil under the old area, ice age in Canada, for example. Yeah, exactly. Then you're talking about a highly, and again, if you're finding a city that was a city 50,000 years ago, that's the estimate. The estimate is, well, the, 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 the whatever flood happened 50,000 years ago, you have a city that's at 2,300 feet deep, and they've even ruled out tectonic plate shifting. Now, you could say they winged it. Or they could say, okay, well, that part, somehow they know. But all combinations aside, you're talking about 
engineered soil and a society that had to at least been building cities 50,000 years ago. And we know that there were tribes like in northern Mexico, Huayalaco is a site that, as I mentioned earlier, Virginia Steen McIntyre, a, a rising star in geology, gets handpicked by a team of archaeologists to find a, it, it's exciting, there were tools, there was campfires, there was a whole site that was clearly a city. And she establishes with a bunch of other geologists that this is a surgeon, a geologist is a surgeon, an archaeologist compared to uh, this is like the guy who sells the surgeon the knives. And they established that Wailaco is uh, approximately 275,000 to 500,000 years old. That does not jive with the timeline. It doesn't jive with the land bridge. It doesn't jive with what you're finding. And then the blood types and the genetic findings of not just the Paracas, there are other blood types being found in South America. So it's not just that Canada wasn't populated by the Clovis people, you're talking about an unknown civilization with engineered soil to have the richest growing, potentially wave cloak dampening soft, you know, soil and engineered genes. And there's evidence of them alongside, just like today, a tribe that may have been living by a campfire because they're buying it. Maybe they're picking up the scraps. Maybe a benevolent society doesn't care that they're living there. Just like we're not destroying every ancient culture that's still like the Sengalis living on that island. They murdered a missionary and everyone knew that they shouldn't have gone to the island. So did they go arrest and, 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 and have we entered that? No, there hasn't been a trial, has there? And now you have these uh, ancient soils showing up in a layer that is way prior to our, our uh, you know, picking up one, tribal society and say, well, look, there was at least a bunch of loincloth mammal or mammoth eating people living here. Yeah, but that doesn't account for the fact that there's uh, a pyramid structure that three quarters of it is mixed in with polygonal construction. The rest of it's mud brick. They got bored. Somebody dared somebody drunk one day said, look, we've had the tequila. You get that 100 ton basalt block halfway up and let's still look at the moon because it's neat. (laughs) I mean, that may be the case for the last couple thousand years, but you almost have to talk like this to break the paradigm Yeah, yeah. because it's so hard to break it. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, even the alternative research community is what you're saying as well. It's you have to break through both paradigms in a way. Yeah. Look, kudos to everyone. No one's wrong. Everyone's everyone. Everyone has to be excited about, I can't wait till my theory's wrong because if you look at the if you look at the technology itself, you can't dig up five. What are you thinking? How can you dig up five percent of a site? You show me five percent of anywhere on your body and tell me I'm going to know who the hell you are, except for the one scar or something. You know, you look at five percent. You you make a five percent hole relative to the size of my book cover and tell me you know what my book's about until you read it. It's an impossible task. Yeah, you'd think we'd be. Yeah. We think we'd be putting all resources on that to see really what. To get it 100%. I mean, it just it does yeah. seem silly now that we got to take care decades. of the coronavirus first yeah. with that 8.3 billion, and then we'll see what's left over. <laughs> yeah, because you know, influenza is not popular to give us killing people left and right, but that's not popular. Or fun it's not or hepatitis. sexy. That is not sexy. Yeah. No, what about malaria? That was that a is fun one. super not sexy. We're getting less sexy. Oh, you're right. Corona sexy. I was in South Africa. That was not, I was in South Africa for a month doing research in January. I was looking at ancient ruins and I'm thinking, gosh, I might get malaria. 
But uh, Corona's around the corner. I guess I'll wait for the new designer drug <laughs> disease that didn't, I don't know. Walgreens will have a cure, I'm sure. Is this still Walgreens? I thought Walmart bought them out by now. Oh, did they? I don't know. If we, not, we they should. Have, we still have them. Yeah, I think they're down there. So. Are they? Yeah. Go yeah, Walgreens. Yeah. I like hey, it. Hey, uh, I... You'll be happy to know that uh, Tim Hortons has infiltrated Minnesota quite significantly. Wow. There's even one in the Mall of America. Tim Hortons is wow. no longer Canadian-owned. Oh, no. Burger King bought Wait. it. Shoot, I was going to ask you if... Yeah, okay. That's... I'm sorry. How long ago was that? Oh, I don't know. Try a double-double, though. Let me know what you think. Yeah. That's my go-to if I go to Tim's. Double-double. Very, uh, very Canadian. Try. Uh, I would drive from Toronto. I would call my brother up and I would say, this is the last Hortons I'm getting. What do you want? Two dozen of, <laughs> you know, what Hortons holes do you need? You know, which you need some of his chocolatey balls or not. Always good to have Tim Hortons chocolate balls all in your mouth. Totally. <laughs> totally. I might, I might, I might take that from you as your ringtone for me from now on. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. No problem. Uh, well, what about mycelium? My, mycelium? You think that's part of the engineered soil thing? That crazy, like, um, it's like part of the mushroom thing, but it's supposed to be like the biggest living thing on the planet. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because uh, Pando was, you know, they knew that there was funguses and bacteria that were probably larger as single entities. There's like, there's some really creepy, weird single cell uh uh, I can't remember. There was it was on Science Friday. They had a uh, uh, there's an oceanic single cell uh, creature that is the size of a human being, and you have Pando that is was considered the largest living. It's at those aspen trees. There's over fifty thousand of them, and it's a single entity. But when you have a layer of, if you have engineered soil and you've engineered the trees, and you've engineered where everything's placed, and you have a society that's interconnected on every level, why would you not be connected to uh, a fungal or bacterial layer that functions no different than any, you know, we think of a flash drive, there's electrons, there's there's electricity moving through what is essentially a non-moving device, why wouldn't you look at a fungus or a bacteria the same that's connecting trees, that's connecting plants, that's connecting then to an entire soil system that's being maintained or engineered by a human being that has full consciousness of their third eye, structured water, that they are, you know, what are the echoing truths of our post-antediluvian worlds? Uh, we used to talk, according to the Bible, we talked to plants or we talked to animals. We didn't eat them until it was a free-for-all after a flood. It was like, screw it, eat everything, it's all there for you. But pre-flood, it was, you talk to animals. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. Imagine then if the animals from bacteria to animal, uh, you know, and then you have, uh, again, the Anunnaki, the Sumerian stories of the king's list of living tens of thousands, a hundred, you know, you have eight kings living 240,000 years, right? What if the echoing slivers of truth is that you have all the communication layers of this engineered planet, all talking to each other, traveling through the solar system, spinning, spinning through the universe, hitting either vibrational or frequency storms, uh, 
bacteria, uh, foreign entities, meteors, asteroids, things hitting this planet where the soil down to these funguses are communicating to like the secret life of trees. Trees are communicating complementary. Um, there are scientists in Washington showing that different species of trees are actually connected via these funguses in the soil and they're communicating, they're feeding each other, they're feeding stumps, they're communicating. Like the internet. Yeah. Exactly. And then what if it rises up? Each layer of creature was programmed and is there as part of an interconnected, well, basically, essentially, right now we're in safe mode. You're at 10 to 14% of your brain. We are, the whole earth is in shutdown safe mode. We're not functioning at all. But imagine a planet fully engineered, communicating through every animal, and you're talking to, sadly, your Japanese anime avatar animal that is twitching a little bit to the left and you realize that you didn't have time with your 100% capacity in the pineal connected universe of you hearing seeing a play with a friend in Greece because you're in America and meanwhile your your living entity animal companion realized that we just blew through a solar storm that's making you irritable and want to murder your neighbor and that's not a normal state for a indefinitely lifelong you know, not dying society and what song, what frequency will tune us back. And it's everything communicating from the fungus and soil all the way through to this interconnectivity with animals and plants. That's, I get into all of it in the book, but that's ties into what you were saying about like, what's that, what, how advanced were we? We have to look at that because how do we then fall? How do we look at what's in the ground? And it ties into it down to those funguses. What does it look like to see an engineered uh, bacteria, an engineered virus, an engineered uh, cell? How engineered were we? Well, you have to accept that the Paracas are not the only engineered ancient mummy we're going to find. That there's anomalies in there. What are the Denisovans, the Neanderthal? How do they really all tie? Are they mutants? Are they are they actually were they what they were where they were, or they are they de-evolved? Were they evolving or were they de-evolving like the rest of us? Why are we the only, um, you know, the, the spread of that genetic, that we have a snapshot, a corner of a photograph of our genetic history. And, and what does that look like against our bacterial? And we want to try to find and connect a fossil record with dinosaurs. How do you connect a fossil record of fungus? If the assumption is that they just randomly appeared, that's one thing. But what if this organism that's living what if all of them were connected for a reason what if this is just a system self-serving and eating itself because it is in safe mode it's it wasn't this in a prior past it was maintained it appears because the scary part about that soil again is if you're not looking and seeing that there's engineered soil where there was supposed to be only nomadic people and if that engineered soil would therefore include engineered bacteria and and fungus then chances are we're missing a massive amount of history. And if you just create a world map and, and look at all these anomalies in, in, in one map, it's, it, it looks connected and we should look at it and be open to it being connected. Is anybody working on that? Is that your next book? Yes. Is it yeah, really? <laughs> I've, yeah. I, I, I outlined it. Yeah. Yeah. I've outlined it and digging deeper into the science I've, I've outlined, I've outlined it. So I do want to get started on it, but 
man, I need to keep, uh, I need to keep showing up with guys like you that are interested in this. I need to keep, uh, I need to, I need to get back on. We need to keep talking about it or maybe yeah. break it up and work on specific segments yeah, of it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I didn't get, I love maps too. And I, I didn't get a chance to like, I listened to your, to your book on a PDF reader. So maps. I didn't get a chance to, to, uh, like see those maps you talked about that you'd made in your book. Yeah, you should. That that was hundreds of hours of work. You can you send? Can days. you send them? Do you have separate files for those? And I'll put oh, them yeah, in. The, yeah. Put them in the studio behind us. Oh yeah, I would. yeah. Like I would, I'll, I'll, send I'll send it to you. yeah yeah. Send me send it to me. We got a real topographer over here, apparently. Yeah, I I like what's happened. I feel like the representation of the Easter head there is more accurate. That's um that's a good example, by the way. You know that there's only 150. Do you know that besides Thor Heyerdahl? the gal in California that's in charge of preserving them that they've only scientifically in modern times and only in the last 15 years. And I bring it up in my book. They've only, uh, they've only really dug down two of those, two or three of those statues. And then they did find a burial. They did find pigments, but then they reburied them. But you have 150 of those statues that are buried to their neck. They're 60 to 80 feet ish tall. But what about the soil? What about the soil from 50 feet below his shoulder line? What about the, what was, because the oldest, do you know the oldest Easter Island heads are made out of basalt? But the younger ones, the ones that you find, those other ones, some are just, they're, it's mimic cultures. They yeah, come along, yeah. they see the oldest statues, and there's polygonal masonry on Easter Island. And Brian Forrester is the one who brought this to my attention. Do you know the most sacred thing to the Rapa Nui? the most sacred item on that island is a stone sphere. Wow. Huh. They, and, and so now you have an island with polygonal masonry in line with all the other ley lines and the Giza pyramid and all these other incredible engineering energy lines. And then you have a statue that 150 of them, you know, Robert Schock talks about maybe it was sloughing off of the volcano but then what about a hundred and what about these guys and starting at their base and then dig down 20, 30 feet? What about the soil around them for acres? If no one's going to get, if, if a government's not going to issue a dig permit, how are we going to know? So yeah. but to your point, who's looking at this? Well, how long are we going to look at Oyante Tambo and Tiwanaku and go, look, everything, all this polygonal construction is laying in mud. Well, who's digging? <laughs> and we're not digging, but it's right here. It's right in front of us. We just got to dig. Just got to dig. And then are we, we allowed have to, to keep dig? the soil. No. Nope. None of them? There's Never. no place we can dig? What about the underwater one? Uh, allegedly, National Geographic has the rights to it, but no one's been back for 14 years. After they no found it, back. yeah. Yeah. It's huh. right there. You can see a picture of it in the book. It's, it's floating all over the internet. And it's like, oh, isn't that neat? Oh, that's nice. And uh, that's where it's been left yeah, because it's, this is a house of cards. And yeah, that's so what like, I think. Yeah. It's a huge house of cards and we're all staring at it. But the jump has to be, wait, it is a house of cards. Okay, move that aside. It's a high-tech ancient human society. Oh, wait, everything starts to fall into place. When you start to look at this and go, oh, my God, how far have we fallen? If we had engineered soil, if we managed the trees, the plants, the bacteria, if we lived indefinitely. If we have DNA memory, if we've already, we literally have DNA memory and they're proving it at Harvard right now, but that's them placing new and they're, you know, like we're looking at it as a, today we're looking at it in the last eight years as a tech storage, but we are, we, why, why is our recall? Why do we have intuition? 
why do why do we have this what is the theories behind the quantum consciousness right and that are we all connected i mean one of the, i was fascinated by why are there pyramids all over the world do you realize that one of the first theories was the hundredth monkey theory the idea that we simultaneously thought of pyramids it was a it was less think about this in the context now in the, our conversation it was less of a stretch to say uh, we all simultaneously thought of it because just like monkeys on madagascar and on africa they each consciously thought about a stick and digging out ants and then one taught one monkey and one taught another monkey and one taught another monkey but the hundredth monkey he just knew how to do it because there's a consciousness so simultaneously we all thought to make blue jeans we all thought to build pyramids we just screw it i don't know i don't want to go hunting in the woods right now i feel compelled to build a 400 story pile of rocks <laughs> everywhere as you do i don't yeah so yeah. it's just when do we make that final jump then and say okay look there is a highly advanced segment we missed but why do we assume they're gone why do we assume they didn't survive why do we assume yeah. that they that really smart i met uh i met a architect who's retired straight laced guy uh, I, a few weeks ago who has been coming to the same scotch group i've been going to for years and he said look in the 50s we saw uh, my friends, six of us in 1956, saw nine saucers. And I said, well, what do you mean by saucers? And he goes, like, think your classic flying saucer, but I've never been more terrified in my life. And they didn't just fly over us, Jared, they stopped, nine of them. They stopped and they hovered and we were terrified. I've never felt or experienced any of this in my life, but this is a straight laced guy. And how many thousands of stories are there out there about, including Olaf's book, on military ufos yeah there's a significant portion canadian usa there are significant top secret programs and you can account for some of them but not for uh, a lithographic plate in 1516 or 15 oh uh, sorry that's the that's the uh, piris reese map but the lithograph of the nuremberg you know fight above the sky and then all of the battle over Los Angeles. Yeah. There's too yeah. many sightings by credible people yeah. and hundreds of people saying, look, there's UFOs, but it's an easier thing to say, well, they must be foreign. They must be from out of space, not inner space, not from the easily hidden underwater under like, look, take hype. They could be in the woods. Uh, we can't find things like Hyperion, the tree. I talk about it in my book. This tree is 379 feet tall, and it's 60 feet-ish wide. It's in the woods, and it towers above these 100-foot trees. It's taller than the Statue of Liberty, and this tree wasn't noticed in the woods until 2003 or 8. <laughs> Nobody noticed it. It's almost 400 feet tall. It's the largest redwood that we know of in the world, and we didn't notice it. It's hundreds of years old, maybe over 1,000, and it's standing there. You can see it from miles away and no one noticed it. Or like all the penguins we found on the danger islands. Yeah. Suddenly the news story comes out that we didn't notice 1.6 million penguins. We watched a whole movie and documentary. Everybody cried over penguins, you know, <laughs> 60 below egg watching. And everyone loves penguins. And no one noticed 1.6 million of them hanging out. There's only 52 researchers. They come and go all the time. And it's amazing what we miss on a day-to-day -day basis. And so here we are with engineered soil all over the earth and the implications of that alone. 
wait, how does that play into populations, ancient populations? You realize we got eight million people. We got eight billion people. Do you realize that if you gave everybody a quarter acre, you could jam them in? Basically, you could take Texas. Texas, you could take like three Texas uh, states the size of Texas, and you could put all the humans that we have on the planet into three Texases. <laughs> yeah, that's a good perspective. Yeah. With a quarter acre. So everyone's talking about overpopulation, yet we have engineered soil that shows a nutrient-rich density right now that could feed the world's population. But that population was in ancient times, and they're not here. So what are we doing now that we think we can't? We already know we have enough food to feed everyone. That's tragic. And that's another thing that if I was an ancient high-tech society, it's like, look at these people fighting, murdering. They're fighting over YouTube hits and yeah. yet we can jam every human being with a quarter acre in a nice little lot uh one level and and the rest of the planet would be empty right now we are not overpopulated we're just apparently refusing to acknowledge and you know i guess i took a dark turn here sorry <laughs> no no like- no i mean the power structure doesn't want us to to know that there's anything about our past it's not like the any high-tech ancient civilization. Like, it's just not going to be talked about for a while. And you know, I think it's on purpose. Is, I mean, it's just they don't want us yeah. thinking all this stuff because they can't, well, they, they've got us in fear mode right now that the sea level is going to yeah. rise and we're burning the earth down. Like, that'll change all yeah. that. All their control yeah. mechanisms will be, like you said, it's a house of cards. It'll fall down. So. Well, they use the same, here's the scary part. They're using the same 10, 14% as the rest of us. And if you spend a thousand years worshiping Lucifer, well, it means something. But really, you're just standing on top of Chernobyl again, buddies. It's just an old nuclear site. But it's special to you because you've been killing the same goat there for a thousand years. But you're using the same 10 to 14 percent to say we don't we, we need we have too many people or or keep the sheeple in their place. And then, of course, here's a mind. Here's a mind screw. Well, what if they did find what's the one organization that has probably found uh, depending on their generation, how many ancient high-tech things did the Catholic Church find? How many ancient things are governments finding? Yeah, yeah, Why are yeah, we not allowed? Yeah. So what if this this elite group, as elite as they are, what if these ancient high-tech humans have had the chance to talk to some of them and either out of uh, a desire to continue to stay hidden, they've guided whether benevolently or not, you're still, I do not trust anyone who only has 14% of their brain capacity. Look at us. It'd be at Horton's right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it could all come down to them purposefully, purposefully doing it, controlling our elite or elites part of it. Oh, I think it's all, I think the cards are bound to blow over here sooner than later. It seems like they're faltering all over the place. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this one. We got another interview in about nine minutes uh, before we wrap right. wrap up. Where can people get the book? It is on Amazon exclusively. I will have the audio book out hopefully here within a month, but it is on Amazon. Nice, excellent. What about social media? Are you on any of the socials? Can people track you down? Yeah. So yeah. So I just started a new channel on YouTube. And I will be loading it with some of the uh, actual field research I did while in South Africa just in January. And I'll be uploading new videos talking about the book. And so you can you can find me on YouTube at Not Aliens. And it does have the symbol for the book on it. It's pretty easy to spot. Cool. And then, come, yeah, this has been a fun chat. It's been really good. 
Come back yeah. when you when you're in the middle of your other book or when you want to chat again and we'll talk about your map and all that. I can't wait to to see the map. Yeah, actually I'll I'll email you that and then I would love to come back and chat more. Yeah. This is like uh yeah. this is a good scratch on the surface. Yeah, this is totally. Awesome. Yeah. It's a good starter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that and uh you know, we can plan the fishing trip still. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah, that totally. You can. Yeah. And and there are things like Hortons, but we can also have something else too. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. we'll do a, a live so, yeah, podcast. Fuck yeah. I so I so appreciate you guys having me on. It's been great. Thank yeah, it's you. been awesome. All right, Absolutely. We'll do this again soon. Have a good night, Jared. Yeah, yeah, you too. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. That was a chat with Jared Murphy. I say Jared had one of the nicer backgrounds I've seen in a while. Yeah, that was that was great. Wow. You know what's funny? Because I didn't listen to him anywhere else. I just read the book. It's kind of interesting just not hearing somebody before and not knowing how they speak or how knowledgeable they are besides writing the book. But yeah, it was fantastic. He's a fast talker, full of knowledge. I love it. Love it. That was a great book. He talked about structured water and Wim Hof. Like he kind of tied it all these, all these. Well, it's interesting to talk about structured water and stuff right after talking yeah. about structured water. Yeah, now this is going to blend. This next show we're doing is going to blend into what he's talking about. Oh boy. More blending. Gonna add a religious giant, uh, Nephilim secret society bloodline thing to the whole thing. It'll be like the reason behind the cover up coming right up, coming right up. Big thanks to Jared for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support. If you're getting a little value from these shows, uh, I think we are like 408 or 409 now, something like that. If you found that uh, they made your life a little better, maybe you could head over to grandamerica.ca slash support, try and make our life a little better, turn up the heat a little bit, uh, buy some new cords, support, growth, all that fantastic stuff. Of course, uh, if you're broke, there's a bunch of different things you can do to support the show that uh, don't cost any money in the show notes. Review the show, share the show, sign up for the newsletter. You could join the chats, grandamerica.ca slash chats. And you can be kind to each other. Uh, what else you got? Anything? That's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. I'm walking gingerly through the rat race. Take a look at the big old smile on my face. Kicking around down by the pool of narcissists. The people are many, they preen themselves, oh how they navel gaze. Somewhere over that hill, the gloomy skies cease to exist. I'm climbing that hill, I pass by and pity the poor Sisyphus. I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. I'm strolling down a static electric avenue. The people are predictable, they say, good morning, how do you do? When out of nowhere, a randomly pure angel in the crosswalk bumps into me. And in doing so, knocks all the evil and all the wind out of me. And it's black as tar, ugly as ever, and of no apology. This angelic mama sings heavenly of the truest theology. Together we're a seraphim dream Forever young with no chronology a Thousand years from now We'll be written into ancient mythology 
We go into hyperdrive and turn into a beam of light. Can you tell me about the view up there? It's sparkling remarkably, the air is crystal clear. Please won't you tell me what it takes to transcend this place A little bit of heart and a whole lot of soul Take a look at the big old smile on my face As my angel says dance with me and your life will never ever ever be told I go into hyperdrive Turn into a beam of light 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 What? <laughs>